This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez. Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. My name is Jeff Sharon. We have got a full house because, ladies and gentlemen of Night Nation, it is finally here. This is the moment that Murph dreams about, right? It's our 2022 Black and Gold Banneret Postseason Awards nomination show. Along with me, four of our main crew. All right, Eric Lopez is here. Kyle Nash is here. Stat Boy Drew, Drew Glukov is here. Bryson Turner's here. And we have got a bunch of awards to go through. Player of the Year, Coaches of the Year, Moments, Games, you name it. It's a long show. Buckle up. We're going to roll with it. Okay, so here's uh, so let's let's go ahead and get started here because I want to I want to dive in right away, just like the Oscars. Okay, let's dive into that first to that first set of awards right away. Women's team coach of the year. What a year it's been for UCF women's sports. Now, here's how we're going to here's how we're going to do this. We're going to give out the nominations, have a quick discussion about each of them. Then we are going to. Over the course of the next couple of weeks, we're going to do a post on the site for each award. You get to vote. Each of us gets a vote on the Black and Gold Banneret staff. And then whoever wins the fan poll counts for one vote. And in the event of a tie, the win goes to the fan vote. Do you see what I mean by that? I see what so you mean. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, you have power. You matter. As to, yes, you do matter. Why do I do that like that? Why do we do this like this? Because all you guys end up voting for football people anyway. And UCF is about more than just football. All right. So I'm just being honest with you right up front. All right. So let's dive in. Women's team coach of the year. We have five nominees to choose from. Number one, Coach Abe. Yes, she pieced out to Georgia, but she leaves UCF the most successful women's basketball coach uh, of all time in terms of winning took UCF to the NCAA tournament where they just barely missed out on the Sweet 16. Won UCF's first double in conference since the A Sundays. Nominee number two, Cindy Ball Malone. Softball. Almost 50 wins this year. Got to the NCAA Super Regionals. Hosted a regional for the first time ever. Todd Dagenet, head coach UCF women's volleyball. Another conference championship. Their fourth consecutive one. All right. Uh, also made it to the second round of the NCAAs. Dana Boone, head coach of UCF women's track and field. A double conference championship, indoor and outdoor. National accolades all over the place. And Emily Marin, women's golf, who took her team to the NCAAs yet again. Just a model of consistency for UCF sports. We will start with Eric Lopez. Eric, give me your takes on the field. Who would you vote for? This is the, I mean, this is going to be a theme on this show. The women's sports this year was through the roof, probably historic. Yeah. I mean, there are two coaches that made the NCAA tournament this year, and Emily Marin and Brian Kanyinkle. They didn't even make it. That's how deep, deep this women's, uh, all the women's sports categories are going to be this year. Uh, so all of them in a normal year would win. That being said, only one of them had a historic season that led her team to the Sweet 16, Round of 16, Super Regional, how you want to frame it. 
for the first time in program history, hosted a regional for the first time in program history, second most wins with 49, and finished the highest ranking program history to finish the season at 14. That's Sydney Ball Malone, uh, UCF softball. I think she just won national coach of the year. That's my choice. Uh, Kyle, we'll go with you. Your quick take. Well, absolutely predictable from my guy, Elo. No shocks there. And listen, I make that joke and I take that shot in the interest of the thank angst that I always do to bring the good radio here. Radio what here. me and Kyle do. That's right. On the black and gold, banneret, uh, and all that. But listen, I, I, I agree 100% that the women's softball team program, whatever you want to call it, had a fantastic and historic year that's undeniable and frankly the tragedy is that these two coaches have to face each other in the same year as such however what i think is different about the women's team and all they did getting higher in the ncaa tournament than any other team before it than any other thing that's gone on so many first conference title um conference tournament and getting to a place where they won the first aca um excuse me um ncaa tournament game in the history but at the end of the day, the juggernaut that is Connecticut should have been beat if it weren't for foul shots. And Gino Ariamba said himself that he himself was forever changed at the end of the day. I don't know that the same happens if UCF softball team runs into an Oklahoma, let's say. I mean, we did. And how'd that go? We lost Drew? in the sweet so at the end of the day, because Jeff subtly, not so subtly, kind of being a beep about it, telling me to wrap up. I don't see how you don't pick Abe here. Granted, she left, and I'm sure fans will feel bad about she did? that. Oh. But, but can we, even when you consider the facilities that one has versus the other, you got to admit the women's basketball facilities here could probably use even more improvement than the uh, softball group does. They weren't respected the way the women's softball team was, and they're doing more with less. Granted, the players were all fantastic in both sports. At the end of the day, Abe had a tougher road. I'm sorry. Uh, real quick, Drew. Uh, now that these two very biased people are out of the way, since they each cover those respective sports, let's give someone who doesn't cover either. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be quick. I'm going with softball on this one. When you look at net, the number of 16 fine. national seat, that basically equates to the fourth number four seed in the NCAA tournament, which is way higher than what uh, the, the UCF women's basketball uh, achieved. Now, that's not to take away from what they did, because they both did firsts you know, winning the first regional ever at UCF, uh, winning the first NCAA tournament game ever at UCF. Those are big things. However, when you look at the whole build of work, the regular season, the postseason tournament into, you know, the NCAA tournament, I got to go, I got to go with softball on this one. They, and, and Kyle, I got to disagree with about facilities have you been to the softball field? Do you know where Eric Lopez has to be sometimes to do to work these games? Uh, there's facility problems at, at softball that need to be worked out. Uh, I'm not least, saying it's great. At least in basketball, they have the ability to play. You know, in in the same arena as the best. So I gotta go. I, I I've got to go with softball. Bryson. Uh, well, first of all, I need to give my just dues to Dana Boone because. She managed to get the two conference championships for track when they've only had one indoor title since 2013, which was the last time they had the double. She also got coaching staff of the year in both conference meets. Under normal circumstances, gentlemen, she would be a coach of the year, but this is not a normal year. Women's sports 50th, in the 50th anniversary of Title IX has absolutely gone off this year. And so 
as much as I love what coach Abe did this year, there's only one coach in this category that actually got a national coach of the year award. The first time for a UCF coach that isn't football. And that is Cindy ball Malone. So I, I think that I have to go with the national consensus here. And while I have to give my just dues to Dana Boone, Dot Tajney, all the, and Emily Marin for great years. Oh yeah. I have to go with ball Malone on this. I, just want to I say, agree with, cra- I, oh, go, go ahead, ahead. Drew. I was saying, isn't it crazy that Todd Dagenet, who won the conference four years in a row, isn't even in the top two at this point? Right. I know. I'm gonna, and I'll speak to his, um, to his accolades as well. They just that program just keeps on chugging yet again, a fourth consecutive conference championship, uh, and coming up, and going to five sets, nearly making the Sweet Sixteen themselves. A couple things go differently in that fifth set against UCLA and Pauley Pavilion, and I think it's a much closer um, bit between him. And Cindy Balmalone. I think personally, for my uh, for my money, Cindy gets the vote because of what she did. I think that it. I think that it really is between her and Coach Abe at this point. And given how events sort of worked out, I think Cindy will probably get the nod. But again, you will get to choose, ladies and gentlemen. Men's team coach of the year. We have three nominees on this one: Bryce Waller, men's golf, another solid year for UCF men's golf. Greg Lovelady, baseball, once again shepherded his team through a very difficult season. I thought in the very, it, it, toward the very end um, it, it, it's, it, as he, you know, worked his pitching staff and we to get his team in a position to where they had a shot on semifinal Saturday in the American Gus Malzahn head coach of UCF football, who, uh, and I'll start the takes on this one. Gus, I thought is the, I, I think would get, um, would get my vote here because of the fact that not just in his first year at UCF, all he's done, not just off the field, but certainly not just on the field, but off the field in terms of stepping up UCF's recruiting, but also the fact that after that Louisville game, that disastrous end of a game where you didn't just lose the game, you lost basically half of your, half of your all conference level performing players, including your all-star quarterback and Dylan Gabriel, and still, managed to MacGyver this team to a nine win season and a victory over the Florida Gators in a bowl game. First ever victory over Florida in school history. Um, I think he gets the nod here to this one. And I want to belatedly throw in also Scott Calabrese for men's soccer, who managed to shepherd his team uh, to within one late goal of an American athletic conference uh, championship. Uh, Bryson, I want to start with you. I mean, if we're going to be honest here, this is going to be a toss-up between Gus Malzahn and Greg Lovely. Now, I know the fans are going to vote Gus, and I completely understand why, especially considering that he himself was injured this year, and he still kept going. Yeah, I forgot about that part. Uh, I know. It's been a year, hasn't it? But the problem, but the thing is, is that the story of Lovelady and Malzahn's teams are both very similar, where they've had to fight in injuries that are honestly much more than average that a team would have to still go on to have a very respectable season. Uh, So for me, I covered, I covered him. So I will admit a a little biased here, but again, like I said, Malzahn and lovely are basically the same uh, have had the same season. So I think it's a toss up either way, but I'm going to go to bat for coach lovelady because I think that the, the, that there is much more of a bounce back, that the bait that baseball had to do. They had to deal with injuries to their, to not only their, their ace pitcher, but their second pitcher in Hunter Patterson, Nick Romano and much more. So I just think that the big bounce back for Lovelady is why he, he deserves it. 
Kyle. Go to bat for love lady. I see what you did there, Bryson. You're too young for dad jokes, but that was a good one. At the end of the day, you make a great point that they essentially had very similar years. At the end of the day, I got to take Malzahn and call me bias all you want for, you know, all my football paraphernalia back here. But at the end of the day, they were able to put themselves in a position to elevate the program, despite all of that, to another level nationally at the end of the day, being able to be the first in the state of Florida to get to a bowl game and also do what they did in the Gasparilla Bowl. I got Gus. Drew? Uh, I also have Gus, and I, I'll, I'll preface, you know, I do have a bias there because I do cover football. But, I mean, much to what Kyle said, I mean, the fact that, you know, this team could have laid down and died uh, behind a freshman quarterback. They did not. They rallied and, and excelled. I mean, a nine-win season – even even with a decent team, is nothing to to you know to really stuff that, stuff yeah. that. Uh, you know you're you're just on the fringe of, of double digits. That's that's a good season. Uh, you know, yeah, the bowl game wasn't great, but that's just what your bowl contracts are. So I mean, you really can't fault on that. But as Herm Edwards says, you play to win the game, and they won the game. Not only did they win the game, but they looked really good winning the game. Like they they second half of that game, they were firmly in control. So I got to give Malzahn on that because it all comes down originally to coaching. If the coaches don't make the players buy in, you can be the most talented team in the world, a la the 2015 UCF football team. You can have all the talent in the world. No coaching, you're not going to win. Lopez, last word. Love Lady and Gus had exactly the same year. The difference is Gus gets the trump card because of the Florida win. Simple as that. Boom. Mm. Mm. There you go. Uh, one point about Gus, let's not forget the Louisville back-to-back and Louisville Navy back-to-back, basically one play away in both games Great from call. winning both of them, mm-hmm. from win- really from winning both of them. So uh, those are our male or uh, uh, our, our, our men's team coaches of Coach of the Year nominations, Gus Malzahn, Greg Lovelady, Bryce Waller, and Scott Calabrese. Let's drop it over to the assistants. They do not get enough credit, but – we do here on the Black and Gold Banneret. Uh, women's Assistant Coach of the Year, Glenn Smith uh, for women's track and field, Whitney Jones in softball, Jenny Maurer in volleyball, uh, Tani Bellario in women's uh, basketball, uh, and then uh, last but not least for uh, women's soccer, Chris Cummings, the uh, goalkeeper coach, for women's soccer. Um, let's go ahead and start with Bryson. I want to uh, tell us about Glenn Smith and what Glenn was able to do for track and field. All right. So Glenn Smith was, was brought on to be the field coach, the t- handing the handling, the jumps and throws and head tap leads. Dana Boone told me in our, in our, in our interview, after she got back from Eugene, that he was the primarily responsible for bringing Brittany Floyd to UCF from UAB, where she proceeded to, to break the youth, the program heptathlon record that has stood for 19 years. We'll talk a little more about that later. She, he also brought Ashera Collins back to Oregon where she improved on her previous mark and was almost a second team All-American. And then he also coached Adrian Adams who broke the program discus throw record that has stood since 2010. So he brought more athletes with him to the to nationals and they, and all of them got, either improved or got school records. That's why, that's why I'm talking about Glenn there. Eric Lopez, what, what, tell us about Whitney Jones and the contribution Whitney made to softball. 
she let helped uh, get Jada Cody to be an All-American, have the offensive balance with speed and power and efficiency, top to bottom, one to nine. Uh, I think that was a big, big piece of her for as far as the UCF offense and really helped them to win the conference and get to uh, the Osta Regional is a big part with Cody as the All-American. This is the second All-American in the history of the program, the first uh, since uh, uh, as a hitter. So I think that's the the big contribution that Whitty and allowed Cindy Balmalone to handle the pitching by herself. Remember, last year, Cindy would run the offense and some pitching. Now she's focused all on pitching because she hands it over to Whitney. Uh, Kyle, Tani Valerio and the contribution she made to women's basketball. She won this award last year. Yeah, and rightfully so. Listen, she won the, the award plenty last year. And then to take what was all there from the COVID year and to find somehow find a way to even get more lift out of a super talented group. Basically everybody except for maybe Tay Sanders had better numbers this, this year than last year. And Tay was still a big part of what was going on with the team overall. Uh, there's a reason why there's two women's basketball assistance coaches on the list, by the way. Um, are we, are we doing votes yet or. Well, I'm, I'm, I want this to be a little bit more informational. So if you want to vote for her, go ahead. Now, at the end of the day, I'd still vote for Whitney Jones because of the youth. And as you as you say uh, uh, earlier, Eric, uh, the way she was able to free up Ball Malone to do what it is she did. I'm also above bias. Just kidding. But, um, you know, there was still a lot to be said for how much the players on the women's basketball team elevated a uh, piece of their game. Coach Abe talked about it basically after every game in the post-conference about how much their identity was improved and even changed in some ways by uh, on, on the fact that they built from that foundation the previous year. Uh, real quick, as we get to the other two, I wanted to talk about Chris Cummings uh, for uh, women's soccer, the goalkeeper coach, recruiting coordinator, uh, Coach Carolyn Delisle to, uh, to a fantastic year, AAC goalkeeper of the year her first selection to the all-conference American first team. Uh, Seven shutouts and 78 saves, a career high for Caroline under the tutelage of Chris. And then for for Jenny Maurer for volleyball, uh, basically the offensive coordinator for UCF volleyball and the recruiting coordinator for UCF volleyball. The job she did in recruiting um, this past year, uh, I think is, uh, has just been second to none, um, you know, because this team has had to fill some holes and listen, there's there, there are teams that rebuild and there are teams that reload mm-hmm. and UCF volleyball has a habit of reloading. You don't win four consecutive conference championships and you're not, and you're not a favorite for a fifth one uh, without reloading for recruiting. So Jenny Maurer um, is our fifth nominee. So uh, those are our five nominees for women's assistant coach of the year. Glenn Smith, track and field, Whitney Jones, softball, Jenny Maurer, volleyball, Chris Cummings of women's soccer and Tony Valerio of women's basketball men's assistant coach of the year we have three nominees in this category travis williams the defensive coordinator for football ted tom the hitting coach for ucf baseball and paul souders of men's soccer travis williams eric lopez tell me about what you thought the major contribution he made to ucf this year and drew i want to get your thoughts on travis as well since you guys both covered football i mean drew i think you would agree travis williams took a defense that was atrocious prior to his arrival with quite frankly not great talent of a roster and turned him into really the strength of the team by the end of the year won them some big games got them bowl eligible to me drew it travis williams i thought exceeded my expectations uh absolutely not only did he 
excel on the field, but he also excelled off the field, uh, bringing this team together. As we know, when when coaching regimes change, things can be a little chaotic. And he really rose to the occasion of really bringing this team together. And I think that's what really helped, you know, lead towards that nine-win season. Because as we know, if the coaching isn't there, you know, you hit it, that, that wall of adversity, you're going to crumble. And they, they broke through the wall. And that really comes down to your coaching staff. T. Will, defensive coordinator, obviously second man in the room at that point, uh, did an excellent job. You know, they were in the, just outside the top 50 in defensive stats, uh, which if you look at last year is a huge, huge upgrade. And don't forget how young he is too, by the way, Drew, not for nothing. Oh, yeah, he's, he's got a yeah. big career ahead of him. And it probably won't be at UC. Someone's going to hire him as a head coach probably in the next few years. Oh God, please not too soon. I love Coach Trap. Uh, Ted Tom, head coach right? for yeah, Ted Tom, head coach for UCF or, or excuse me, assistant coach for UCF baseball in charge of hitting Bryson Turner. Um, unsung hero, I thought for that team, especially in the second half of the year, right? Oh yes, very much so. Uh, on May twenty fifth, I did some ca- uh, calculations. Through the USF home series, the UCF team that was batting 276. Post USF until May 25th, they were hitting 292. When pitchers like Connor Stain and Hunter Pattison went down and the pitching staff was in disarray, it was the batting who didn't have the best start to the year that came in and absolutely saved their behinds. And that and all the credit in the world has to go to Ted Tom for being able to improve that bat that the bat of the bats to get them to that point. So Travis Williams, of course, did an amazing job this season with the defense, but I'd be remiss if we don't mention Ted Tom for this award. Paul Souders for uh, UCF men's soccer. And Eric, I want your input on this one uh, as well. You know, this was a bit more of a struggle year for, for men's soccer because of some transition with the loss of Cal Jennings, but they were able to figure out that offense, I think midway through the year. And he was a key part of getting uh, guys like Luca Dorado to really develop and fill that hole that Cal Jennings left. Correct. Uh, he led the, the goals there, Gino Vivi. And remember, UCF had, had question marks through, uh, about the goalkeeping because you know Yannick Ertl had graduated, so the offense had to pick up more of the of the of the slack. And you know, Paul Souter was able to bring Nick Taylor in a transfer out of SMU, which is a big part to that offense. So, uh, you know, what's funny? A few years from now, when we look back at these nominees, I think you're going to see a lot of future uh, head coaches at that point. I mean, there's a lot of future head coaches on this list, on both That's women why- and men list. That's why I like that we give props to the assistant coaches because we are going to see these people have head jobs somewhere else. I don't know. You never know. Some of them may be head coaches at UCF again one day. But, uh, but yeah, the, the, the UCF influence is spreading throughout the coaching world, and that's what we like to see. So there's your men's assistant coaches of the year. Alumni of the year. This is an award that goes to a UCF athlete who has performed uh, above and beyond expectations for the previous year as a professional athlete in their given sport. We have three, uh, excuse me, four uh, nominations. Gabe Davis, needs no introduction. Sean Johnson, NYCFC goalkeeper, won MLS Cup. Uh, Matthew Wright, who worked his way in uh, into the NFL, fought his way onto an NFL roster uh, with the Jacksonville Jaguars, and Maddie Rogers. Um, I'm going to defer to Kyle on this with Gabe Davis because you cover both college and the NFL. I do. Yeah. And with that in mind, listen, Gabe Davis definitely belongs in consideration for this list 
sure, he was great as an arguable pound-for-pound rookie of the year performance last year, but the fact that he was such a big part of that Buffalo Bill offense, we all know about Stephon Diggs. He was a great uh, tertiary option, and sometimes based on injury, even a secondary option, one could possibly argue. And then, by the way, how big he was when they were almost, what was it, Drew, 30 seconds away? from making it to the conference championship and battling the Chiefs. And unfortunately, Patrick Mahomes went all Patrick Mahomes. But but Gabe Davis was a big part of that game and 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 uh, making an impact for what was nearly a Super Bowl team. Drew? Uh, I actually uh, think Gabe Davis is overrated uh, in this selection. And the reason why is Whoa. he had the Brandon wow. Marshall Hawaii Bowl moment. You know, great receiver. But, you know, was always overshadowed by someone else until he had that one game where he became unstoppable. Now, I think this is going to springboard to an excellent 2022 season. But if you look at his 2021 regular season, he actually went down. He didn't play as much. Uh, His yards per reception went down. His yards went down. His you know, targets and receptions were flat. He had one last touchdown. I mean, he was battling through some injuries, too. You know that. He was. He was. Mm-hmm. And, and Just checking. I mean, you know, you got to look at the whole body boy. of work. Got to look at the whole <laughs> body of work. And but he had his Brandon Marshall a Hawaii Bowl moment against Kansas City, where he uh, was an unstoppable force of nature. And and we can't you know immediately you know we can't eliminate that. But you got to look at the whole body of work. And I, I don't nope. I don't think Gabe Davis is the best guy uh, is the best person on this list. Who is? No, no man in the history of the National Football League has caught four touchdowns in a playoff game except for Gabriel. Davis. Eric Lopez, I want to talk about Sean Johnson because to me, he's the dark horse in this category. I know everyone's going to talk about Gabe and remember the game in Kansas City, but Sean is going to get my vote because he led NYCFC to the MLS Cup. That franchise's first MLS Cup. Um, and you, you look at all the discussion around that team as they made their run in the playoffs, it all centered around Sean Johnson and how he was the heartbeat of that team. And we saw it in the, uh, in the final uh, against Portland where yep. he, uh, w- where he came up with the key stops in penalty kicks that gave NYCFC the championship. There's no UCF alum right now in pro sports. That's better than Sean Johnson. Uh, he's the best goalkeeper, in my opinion, in the MLS. He should be the goalkeeper for t- the United States team this World Cup coming up, except the uh, U.S. national team is run by idiots, so he probably won't be. They'll make an excuse that he's too old or whatever. But he's tremendous. Uh, I think he is phenomenal and is right now should be the guy. I will throw out, though, Matthew Wright, to be a kicker, okay? Kai, I'm surprised you didn't – or Drew, I'm surprised neither one of you brought up Matthew Wright. I was asked to do, Gabe. I can do plenty on on. Uh, well, you covered well, Matthew Wright. Yeah. We, we, right, yeah. we, we did what we were asked. <laughs> All right. Well, Kyle, you covered Matthew Wright. I mean, to be a kicker in the NFL is not easy because it's a week to week, right? You have one bad week, you could get cut. Matthew Wright's battled to be an NFL kicker. And hey, that's after all the stuff that went down with Josh Lambeau and him struggling so early. The Jags had a chance to win a game or be more competitive than them here and there and was failing. And then the pressure came. And the reason why you could argue the few wins they got under the shambles of disaster that was the Urban Meyer regime. And I'm not including in the year because he's already gone by then, guys. Was Matt Wright nailing a kick overseas? 
for that first win. And then, of course, <laughs> some other close moments. Guys, uh, uh, Matt Wright may not even be on the roster anymore in Jacks, but he was huge to give fans something there in Jacksonville and making all of that happen. He had a 56-yarder this year and was 21 for 24 uh, and was uh, money from inside of 50, missed only uh, one kick uh, from, inside, uh, uh, from inside 50 and was uh, perfect from inside 40, 14 of 14 inside of 40. In fact, he, in his entire career, he's only missed uh, – two of his three misses have been from 50-plus his entire career. Yeah, small so, sample size, but that's Vinatieri numbers. That's like can't argue with it. Um, uh, 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 Andrew, you also mentioned Maddie Rogers, and I wanted to and and let's give Maddie Rogers some props here, and I want Bryson to speak on Maddie as well. Okay, I guess uh, I guess I'll start first. Uh, Maddie Rogers, Olympic uh, weightlifter. Uh, she she's actually my personal pick. Uh, one, unlike the others, which are team games, this is all on you. You are, you are by yourself. You have no help, no nothing. Uh, this is strictly on you. You live and die based on how you do. And while she finished sixth in the Olympics, you know, she also uh, medaled three different events. Uh, she was silver in the world championships. She hit a gold in the Santo Domingo, which was uh, it's technically the 2020, but it was done in 2021. And then in Ecuador, she, she silvered again. So, I mean, you, you know, that's not easy to do on an international level. And, and she did it. And I think that that stands out, you know, my, you know, Sean Johnson, very close second for me uh, because, you know, he is one of the gold standards of, you know, MLS goalkeeping, but I, I think Rogers really rose up. Yeah. Bryson, you, you did a lot of coverage on Maddie during the Olympics. Yes, I know. It sucks because the Olympics literally happened right after last year's bannies. So I feel very, so I want to make sure that we give Maddie Rogers her due because hers was a lot further back in time than the other ones that we're talking about. But to quote her, I'm, I have this article up on teamusa.org right now. She quoted, I just happened to have the worst panic attack ever at the wrong time on the biggest stage. I could not get it back together. In a year where athlete mental health has been a huge theme, but whether it's in the Olympics or on the collegiate level, Maddie Rogers is, I think, is uh, gives a personal UCF tie to that discussion. And the fact that even while she was undergoing that, she still managed to get sixth in the Olympics. She still managed to get another way up for a, during that entire thing. And the emotion that she had on her face was palpable that palpable so maddie has to be given her just dues even if sean johnson also makes a very good case and a real All quick right. thought here jeff like the the fact that we got alums and this alum category is packed the way it is says a hell of a lot for ucf in general not for nothing yeah yeah four alumni of the year candidates gabe davis of football sean johnson of soccer matthew wright of football and maddie rogers in weightlifting all right let's do uh one more and then we're going to take a break okay we're going to do um actually let's do yeah let's do two more all right we're going to do the breakout athlete of the year this award goes to an athlete who um from one year to the next to this past year made a tremendous leap uh in terms of their performance uh and ability uh and we have five nominees for women's breakout athlete of the year jada cody of softball amber olson of volleyball 
Destiny Thomas of women's basketball, Latasha Smith of track, and Justine Molina of softball. Uh, I want to start with Eric Lopez and the two softball athletes who were nominated, Jada Cody and Justine Molina. Go ahead, Eric. Start with Molina. She was the defensive player of the year in the American. Could go down as the greatest defensive infielder in UCF softball history. Always steady. Had the best bat in the month of April clutch. And then Jada Cody fairly uh, simply had the greatest offensive season that any UCF softball players had since Stephanie Best played. And that was a few years back. Say, oh, I don't know, 02 to 05 when Best played here. uh, She broke. Best is 19-year record of RBI record and became the second All-America UCF. Pretty historic stuff. These two uh, big uh, big parts of the success. And broke that record in fewer games, if I'm not mistaken. Much fewer right? games, lesser games. They played way more games back in the day uh, in 05. They had double headers and things. So she broke it by like about 10 games. Uh, I want to shout out to uh, Amber Olson, the setter, of course, who's who emerged – uh, over the last few years, you know, it, it's not that you know, I think that it's not so much that she made a big leap this year, but it's that she really took control of a team that likes to run that six two that Todd Dagenet has done for for several years. Well, this year she took over as the primary setter for UCF volleyball and uh, moved her way up the all time uh, sta- uh, up the all time standings. Added a little bit of attacking to her repertoire as well, but this particular year, especially on defense, I thought she really diversified her game. Obviously, it's, you know, it, it's it's a harder job than you think when you're setting up players like McKenna Melville all over the place. But remember, she's fourth all time in career assists uh, and she's got one more year to go as well. She may very well end up being uh, coming pretty close to being the all time leader at UCF uh, in assists when all is said and done. So that's so Amber Olson, once again, make getting the job done for UCF volleyball in another championship season. Um Bryson, tell me more about Latasha Smith, track and field. I will die on this hill. The only reason that we did not see Latasha Smith in Eugene was because Dana told us that there was an illness among the 400-meter relay team, which includes Latasha Smith. We would have seen her in Eugene had that not happened because she managed to take both the indoor and the outdoor 400-meter school records. The indoor record has stood since 2016 she beat it by about half a second and then the outdoor record was set by Afia Charles in 2013 and Latasha Smith went and and beat that by about point four about four tenths of a second absolutely swept both of the uh, both 400 meter indoor and outdoor and she was part of the four by 400 meter relay team that also took the school record the outdoor one and Boone has talked about how good that unit is and Latasha Smith is a big part of that a reason why uh Kyle, I know you've been waiting to talk about Destiny Thomas. And even though she is leaving as well as many other players for UCF women's basketball, uh, as they make their transition to a different coaching staff, um, she really stepped it up this year, didn't she? Oh, there's no question. And Jeff, look at what's going on on that starting lineup. First and foremost, the only underclassman on it 
one Destiny Thomas. And let's put it this way. We all know about Masani Kama and her ability to battle down low. We know about Britney Buckets, Britney Smith doing her thing, fighting and being finesse all its own. Desto isn't really one of the loud personality. Heck, she doesn't even have a social media account on Twitter, okay? But at the end of the day, what she does is grab, rebounds, and then all of a sudden, if she gets hot, she'll be able to do putbacks for offensive rebounds and get double digits. But Jeff, in this year, she also developed an outside shot in one of her three triple doubles. She hit at least three from the outside range there. Looked really great doing it. Versatility being a third option of somebody who can be a threat to score and also grab rebounds and why that post game was so important to free up diamond battles to do what she did on the outside. And just what a performance in what she was able to do to elevate her offensive skill to the point where she's out there with fifth year and fourth years and juniors and just doing a great job. So we have five nominees, Jada Cody of softball, Justine Molina of softball, Amber Olson of volleyball, Destiny Thomas women's basketball, Latasha Smith track and field. Last one before we go to a break, men's breakout athlete of the year, four nominees, Ryan O'Keefe of football, Noah Orlando of baseball, Teddy T-Tack men's golf, Andrew Sundin of baseball. I want to start with Ryan O'Keefe and I want to defer to Eric and uh, Drew on this one. You know, he really, all the numbers aside, he would, he was the safety valve for, uh, for Mikey Keene. When, um, when Dylan Gabriel went down and Gus Malzahn had to hand the keys of his offense to uh, a true freshman quarterback, he needed somebody who could be his safety blanket. And that was Ryan O'Keefe. And it happened not just throughout, not just in that Gasparilla Bowl performance that we all know and remember, but throughout the season. Well, I let's, let's, go a little bit further back spring game of 2021. And if you recall, I was talking about how Ryan O'Keefe was the star of the offense on the wide receiving side. Uh, at that time, everyone thought, you know, uh, Jane Robinson was going to be, you know, Jay Flash was going to be the guy. He struggled with the setup and, and O'Keefe just, just took the ball and ran. Look at the numbers, team leader in receiving team leader in yards from scrimmage. The only guy with 1000 yards from scrimmage, fourth in rushing. I mean, he did it all. I mean, he averaged 17 yards a carry and he had 16 carries. I mean, so it wasn't like he wasn't utilized all that much. He did everything. Not only was he the safety valve, but he became the slash. I mean, he was just all over the place, uh, you know, you know, doing his rendition of Otis Anderson. Uh, you know, the, that versatility, you know, compared to his first year where he was what, what, 300, 391 yards, and three touchdowns turned into 812 yards, seven touchdowns. He went from zero to 274 yards in rushing. And, and you know, because he had no rushing before, under 400 yards total offense, over 1,000 yards in 2021, up to touchdowns. I mean, the, he's by far the most valuable player on that UCF offense. Uh, let's go to uh, baseball. And uh, Bryson, I want to... Uh, defer to you on both Noah Orlando and Andrew Sundin. You covered them both extensively. What's the case for the two of those guys? All right. So Noah Orlando is on the more year by year. For the city! 
Yeah, yes. Um, so last season, Noah Orlando only started 11 games, had about a 111 batting a- batting average. He didn't really get a lot of playing time just because there was so much going on in the in the infield. And Alex Freeland took his original spot of shortstop. This season, however, Noah Orlando went and got a hun- went had 177 at bats, p- played in over 50 games, and he hit 322. Let me say that again. He went for a, a, one, from starting 30 games and hitting 111, playing in 30 games and hitting 111 to playing in over 50 games and hitting 322. That is insane, is an insane improvement right there. In addition, he also filled in valiantly for Alex Freeland when he underwent a severe, underwent, had his wrist injury late in the season. Freeland himself even said that he did a great job fill, filling in for him. So in his last season in a program that he's been in for so long, Absolutely excellent performance out of Noah Orlando. Now, if you want to look at a single season, you, you want to look at Andrew Sundin. Andrew Sundin is, or Sunny D has definitely been one of the breakout stories on this team. Lovelady said that, you know, he wasn't really anything special in the fall and saying that he's saying that he was kind of still getting used to the college life as a true freshman. But through the holiday break, he said he got he got his act together. And then once Riley Wash ended up hurting his finger, he was ended up he ended up being pushed into service at starting as as at the catcher. And he absolutely went off getting hit after hit. Uh, I'm I'm looking at the stats right now. And even in, in, in his early games, when he didn't get a hit, he still had an RBI and he got hit by a hit by a pitch. He, he started playing in February in February and started playing regularly in March. He did not even get a walk until May 14th that uh, is a base on balls until May 14th. So I think Sundin, I think that's, he's been also been a really big breakout story from this team on a single season standpoint. And so if you want to look at it from that standpoint, Sunny D is a perfect example of what this award entails. I'd honestly could go to either one of them, depending on what your definition of a breakout is. Men's golf, Teddy Titak, the senior from uh, Slovakia, who was uh, probably the top contributor or, or, or certainly one of the top contributors for uh, UCF men's golf, along with uh, right behind Johnny Trevally. Um, and, uh, you know, as a senior, you know, this past year, eight tournaments, scoring average of 71.88, second on the team, uh, and, and really moved nicely into that number two slot in that rotation for head coach Bryce Waller and uh, UCF. You know, moving up, move, moving up his uh, season scoring average from 74.17 last, uh, last season to 71. 0.88 can't beat that uh had a uh 54 hole at the hartford hawks uh invitational minus eight one top five two top tens three top 20s and unanimous all aac uh conference selection uh so there's your nominees for breakout athlete of the year on the men's side ryan o'keefe and orlando andrew sundin teddy t-tack we're going to take a quick break i know we're trying to move we got a lot of awards that we got to get to still when we come back, we're going to do a few more individual awards. Then we're going to get to the fun ones, which is the teams and the moments and the games that are going to be a lot of fun for us to relive. Stick around. We'll be right back. It's the Black and Gold Bannerette Podcast. Back after this. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Bannerette Podcast. Full house on hand for our 2022 Black and Gold Bannerette Award nomination show. I'm Jeff Sharon. We got Eric Lopez. We got Drew Glukoff. We got Kyle Nash. We got Bryson Turner. Let's roll on. We got a few more individual awards that we're going to send out the nominations for. Remember, folks, you will be able to vote for these over the next couple of weeks on our site, blackandgoldbanneret.com. Make sure you follow us on Twitter, UCF underscore SBN. 
for when these awards each count. We're going to release two a day. Fans, remember, you get to vote on these awards. Your winners will count as one vote, and you will be the tiebreaker vote. In the event of a tie, each of us on the staff will have a vote as well. All right. So let's move on with some more individual awards. Senior of the year, we have men's and women's. This is not necessarily somebody who was the greatest performance performer of the year, although they may have been, but was a key senior leader, somebody who we really who at the, at the end of the at the end of their career really stepped it up and was admired at the end of the at by the end of the season. We'll start with the men. Cole Schneider for football, Noah Orlando for baseball, Teddy Tetak for men's golf. Mauricio Villalobos for men's soccer. Now, we talked a little bit earlier, uh, just before the break, about what Teddy Titak and Noah Orlando did for their respective sports. So we'll keep them up there. Uh, but let's talk about Mauricio Villalobos, Eric Lopez, men's soccer. Once again, you know, this was a bit of a transitional year for them, and they came so close to making the NCAAs as, uh, as the conference champion. And uh, Mauricio, I thought, was a key part of that. He was a captain. He was a guy that always spoke to the media, wins or losses. And there were some tough losses in particular this year. But you mentioned it. This is a guy that's part of a group that won two conference championships, two sweet 16 runs uh, in a row, 19, and then, of course, in 21. So uh, the stats don't tell the story about him. His legacy will live there as part of this great run that UCF men's soccer is under. Cole Schneider, uh, I'm going to go. I'm going to defer to Kyle and Drew both. Uh, on this one, by the way, a game-winning goal against SMU for from Mauricio as well uh, earlier this year. But uh, you guys have both been tooting Cole's horn all throughout the year. You know, in your in both of your journeys of covering UCF football, how key was he as a senior, not just you know on the field but off the field as well? Kyle, I'll start with you. I mean, how close we might have been to pick Sam Jackson had he played another year. But listen, take nothing away from Cole. I think even Drew will agree his versatility on the offensive line and talking to him in the interview we had a few months back here on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast, you knew the personality he was to learn anything and do anything he could for the squad. When Matt Lee got hurt, the great talent he is, arguably the best player at his position on the offense, Cole Schneider filled the gap nicely to make sure he had time to recover, and his leadership efforts helped make that line a thing. And Drew, I think you'll agree he was a key aspect of the run blocking that took place and made the difference in that Gasparilla Bowl, right? Oh, absolutely. You know, he may not be the best overall player, but I mean, his versatility cannot be, you know, discounted. You know, Matley, not only did he start one game at center, but he had to spell Matley a few times during the year when, when Matt was just too beat up to play and they had to pull him out. But, I mean, he, he earned accolades. He was, you know, honorable mention of all AAC from the league coaches. He got second team for um, pro football focus, third team for Bill Steele. Uh, he played in the Hula Bowl, you know, at UCF. He was, you know, he, he had a lot of action. And, you know, the fact that he's out there, you can see it. That, that helps Bill. Because, as you know, Kyle, stat numbers with offensive line, they don't you – can't, you can't really – you know, the only thing you can really, you know, stat them for is how other players excel. Indeed. And we talked about how strong the running game is. You know, you had two players over 700 yards with, with Richardson and Bowser. That doesn't happen without explosiveness at the, at the line. And, you know, you're a guard mostly. So you got to open the, the, you know, the, the working on the ones and the three hold. Uh, you know, without that, you've got no inside run game. And that's what Isaiah Bowser was known for. So obviously he played a big role in that. And hey, that's the reason why he's wearing cheese color clothes up in Green Bay last I heard in OTAs. All right. 
We got uh, your four nominees right there. Teddy Titak for men's golf, Noah Orlando for baseball, for men's senior of the year, along with Cole Schneider of football and Mauricio Villalobos of men's soccer. Women's senior of the year. We have five nominees in this category from three different sports. We have two for softball, two for volleyball, and one for women's basketball. Masani Kaba for women's basketball. Uh, the two for volleyball, Anne-Marie Watson and Narissa Moravic, and softball, Gianna Mancha and Denali Shopaker. I want to uh, start with Kyle and Masani Kaba and the job that she did this year as UCF's um, best post player, I, th- I thought. Even though she didn't win an award, she was still the starter on the team and got herself uh, a look in the WNBA uh, for her efforts, particularly in her senior year. In Chicago, absolutely. I don't think she's still on the roster, but she did get that look. And, hey, by, by the way, I like the point you make about her versatility. Jeff, maybe she didn't win a reward, an award, but she did get her thousandth point in this season on her way out as a swan song. And, listen, as versatility go, goes, the mix of pure brute strength and, and, and grit, maybe not as strong as Destiny Thomas, but better shooter, and maybe not as graceful as Brittany Buckets, Brittany Smith, but a lot more of a battler and a leader on the team. And listen, she was phased by nothing. When things got hot, a lot of times Masani Kamba would get in the heads of her opponent by maybe jaw with them. Maybe like, like you like to see from CJ Walker sometimes Jeff on the men's side and doing that sort of thing to intimidate the other side, to show the Gina Oyama's squads out there in Connecticut or anybody else who is posing a threat that they will not be denied and they will try to out physical you if 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 they cannot outshoot you, as Coach AB used to put it, pretty ball may not be their style. And the tip of that spear was Masani Kamba to bring that physicality, regardless of what Diamond Battles did on the stat sheet. Eric Lopez, we have two softball players on this roster, which makes it always hard to choose between the two because I always <laughs> tend to think that they might steal votes from one another. Gianna Mancha in the circle, Denali Schopacher at the plate and in the field. How significant were they to this team that made the Super Regionals? Super, uh, very significant. Gianna was an all-region player, the ace of this team, continuing the legacy of great UCF pitchers through a couple of no-hitters. In fact, she had three no-hitters for her career, which only Kime, Turnier, Audis have done as far as having multiple no-hitters. So you're in great company there. Uh, and then you have Denali Schapacher, who's in the top 10 in every significant offensive category in the history of this program, 200-plus hits in her career. Right field armed, all conference performer, great batting that can hit small ball, can you know get on base, great on base player, uh, two big big part leaders uh, on this team in helping their success and having success. Gianna has been successful everywhere she's played, and Shopaka really a great red, and she'll still be at UCF by the way, working at the uh, UCF Sports Medicine Department. Yeah, I just saw that she's going to be and she's going to be interning uh, there yep. and obviously working with softball. So I just saw that came down uh, this past week. Uh, we wanted to uh, give a sh- give shout outs to uh, as well two volleyball players on this list. Anne Marie Watson uh, in her fifth and final year, of course, the Oviedo native uh, who spent all these seasons, you know, on the other side. Of McKenna Miller was sort of an unsung hero, but really came into her own this past year. ABCA All Region, uh, three hundred six kills, forty four digs, one hundred thirty blocks. Um, just a remarkable year. It, I highly encourage everyone to read Bryson's feature on her. Haggerty High School graduate Bryson Turner talking to Haggerty High School graduate Anne Marie Watson. And then Narissa Moravic, who finished among the UCF's leaders all time in blocks. And what, and again, you want to talk about unsung hero, didn't always put up, you know, huge numbers, but she was a human wall 
up front for uh, UCF. Um, led the uh, conference this past year, 1.34 blocks per set in all 34 matches. All conference, second team, 141 kills, uh, and, and just a remarkable career for uh, Nerissa Moravik uh, as she finished up uh, her time uh, at UCF. One other note about Amory Watson, too, that, uh, that Bryson just dropped me. Finishes top 10 all time in kills and blocks at UCF. Just a remarkable job by her. So there's your nominees for Women's Senior of the Year. Gianna Munch and Denali Schapacher of uh, softball. Amory Watson, Narissa Moravik of volleyball. And Masi Kaba, women's basketball. Let's move to the youngsters. Freshman of the Year. We start with the women. Softball, Ashley Griffin and Michaela Mercario. Women's tennis, Sophia Biolay. And women's golf, Zoe Alau. Uh, this is going to be, uh, let's go again to Eric Lopez here to, for those two softball nominees. Listen, you are the softball guru, and you get plenty of airtime when that team makes the Super Regionals again. It's one thing to talk about the seniors that we talked about, right, Eric? It's another thing to talk about the freshman contributions that these players made in their first years in black and gold. No doubt. And both play positions of very important positions. We start with Macario, the shortstop position. That was the big question. Who was going to be in the shortstop position? And for a freshman to take over and shine like Macario did, it was fitting that she would make the last catch to win the regional winning freshman of the year in the American. And then Ashley Griffin catching, you know, Carissa Ornella's transfer to Oregon. Who's going to be behind the play? Well, Jada Cody's catching Gianna Mancha. Who's catching the other pitchers? Well, that's Ashley Griffin, and she grew as the year went on, not to mention big power in the middle of the lineup, had a great postseason, hit the walk-off against South Carolina in the regular season that turned the game around, helped the, in a winning. She really just grew, and I think has got a shot, has a great future at UCF. It'll be a big, big middle-of-the-bat lineup with Cody and Doherty for the next couple of years. Bryson, I want to move to uh, – we haven't done much on women's tennis this year, but, you know, Sophia Biolle – uh, in a year that, you know, that once again, UCF made it to the NCAA tournament. Um, and Sophia was, uh, was a key player in that, uh, as a freshman, uh, came in from Reims, France and really contributed well for them. Oh yes. I remember when I talked to coach, head coach, Brian Kenyako and he, uh, when we talked to him before the season started and he told us that both freshmen that were in this year, Sophia and fellow freshman, Noel Sidanova, they arrived in the U S just before the season started because of the issues with uh, getting passports because of COVID-19 pandemic backing things up. So they didn't have much time to warm up with the rest of the team. Yet Sophia Biole managed to go out and have a very impressive freshman year going nine and five in singles play. But her, um, but what's majorly impressive is her doubles pair with Nandini Sharma, which, where Biole went 17 and five in doubles play on, on her own. But with, with Nandini Sharma, they went 16 and four, absolutely dominated. In the, in the doubles play with women's tennis. And with all the women's athletes as big as they, they've been, Sofia Viole definitely was one of the top freshmen out there this season. Another French woman, this time on the women's golf side, Zoe Alo. She's from uh, Narbonne, France, uh, and competed uh, in all 11 events as a freshman this past year for UCF, hitting an average of 73, really good for a freshman. Uh, Dropped a, a minus 765 at the Bryan National Collegiate. That was her best performance of the year. Uh, and finished with two top 10s and seven top 20s. Member of the French national team uh, coming over to play for UCF. She's going to be fantastic as the years go by. So there's your four nominees for women's. We'll call it newcomer of the year, actually, because uh, as we have 
uh, at uh, Sophia BLA, Zoe Allo, uh, Michaela Macario, and Ashley Griffin. Jeff, Relatively new. Yeah, Jeff, go ahead, Bryson. Um, I just wanted to mention that 65 that you mentioned that Zoe Allo got tied mm-hmm. for the lowest 18-hole score in program history. That's pretty good. As a freshman. Not that was her second bad. event. That was her second event, too, wasn't it? The Brian yeah, National. Not League. bad. Yeah. So, <laughs> Zoe Allo. Wow. Men's freshman of the year. We have four nominees. Two of them for baseball, Lex, uh, Lex Boddicker and Andrew Sundin. One for men's basketball, Darius Johnson. And one for football, Mikey Keene. We'll start with Drew. All right, let's talk, about, Mikey, let's talk Mikey Let's Keen. talk about Mikey Keene. Let's talk about Mikey Keene. He had his start uh, after Dylan Gabriel got knocked down the very end of Louisville, so he obviously didn't play that. But, uh, you know, this guy, true freshman, gets thrown into the fire and, and has to lead this team because – there wasn't much else to work with. Like Joey Gatewood was more of a kind of a runner. And, and as we saw later, uh, so was uh, Parker Navarro. Uh, so, you know, Mikey came thrown into fire. Let, let's see what he's done. Never lost at home. Won six out of his last seven games and even said that the game started slowing down for him and his play showed. Uh, he had one real bad dud of a game against Memphis at UCF still won. Uh, but you go after the Temple game in uh, the end of October. So you had two more months. He threw zero interceptions after that game on October 30th. That, you know, that's five games right there. And including the, the bull win against Florida. You know, very, very good holding on to the ball. Uh, and, and, you know, you don't expect that out of a true freshman. Uh, so uh, I think he's very much a fair candidate on this. And, you know, just on a little bit biased, he's my book because he got thrown in the fire and had to lead an entire offense. After that Memphis game, Drew, 12 touchdowns, one interception for Mikey Keene, true freshman. Right. He did have five in that Temple game uh, where he had that last interception. But but after that, never threw another pick the rest of the year. Uh, you don't expect that out of an 18-year-old. Yeah. Uh, Bryson, let's talk a little baseball. Let's talk about uh, Lex Bodecker. And uh, Andrew Sundin, you talked about Sundin already in a, in a previous category, but what did Lex Bodecker do this year that was key for UCF? I'm telling you what, this is one of those, uh, Lex Bodecker is one of those players in a, in a year of personalities and stories on this baseball program, Ben McCabe having a slow start coming up, that sort of thing. Lex Bodecker was one of the quieter players on this team, yet he quietly went to hit the hit the second highest batting average on the team of a, someone that has more than 150 at bats. He he batted 188 times. He hit a batting average of 330, 330, and only one that hit higher batting average than him was Jeffrey Pena. And Lex, he went, he started a good amount of the games he played. And from like the word go, Bodecker was in there a lot of the time. He played first base for a bit when Nick Romano got when Nick Romano was got hurt he but then he really found a home out there in left field and he was just kind of quietly just raking it and I mean it's unfortunate that you know that you know he's not mentioned a lot more when when you have people like Sonny D who broke out the way he did or Jeffrey Pena being the speedster um, or Connor Stain and Hunter Patterson being dominant on the bound but Lex Bodecker has when you look at the numbers has quietly had an amazing first season with this baseball program. And I'm very, and I'm very glad that left field is in very good hands with him. 
Kyle, Darius Johnson was a highly touted recruit, and boy, he looks to be living up to the hype, doesn't he, for men's basketball? Couldn't put it better that he is, Jeff. And listen, second on the team in assists, yeah, I know it's because he's a point guard, but when it's a situation where you have when you have uh, Darius Perry in there ahead of you, the, the uh, statesman as senior doing his thing, to watch Darius Johnson come and make himself in a position to make Perry more of a shooting guard at times, took over the team. And I mentioned his stats of having three assists per game and all of that. If you're not impressed by that, fine. How about the fact that th there is a particular moment that exemplifies it better than no other? Senior, captain, center, seven-footer, Chik Jean rolls out to the top to start a play, and Darius Johnson just waves him off. And <laughs> I knew you were going to bring that one up. Waves him, of course, you have to, Jeff. And just the leadership he exhibited as a young man. Listen, you could be hyped and have a bazillion points, but to be a leader that quickly and to command a guy that's, what, at least a full foot taller than you <laughs> on off the court in, in, in a game like that, that they did eventually win. And by the way, the play in question, he also took it to the rack himself to get two points on the layup. That's what, that is a great um, exemplary moment for what Darius Johnson was this year and what a place to build on for him to be a big deal next year uh, you know, for the basketball program. You know, it was my favorite part of that play. It wasn't so much Darius waving Mbake off. It was Mbake kind of looking at him like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Not wrong, boss. All right. You got it. Go for it, son. Uh, so there's your uh, freshman of the year, Mikey Keene, Lex Bodecker, Darius Johnson, Andrew Sundin. I'm going to try and not screw up the order this time. When we talk about transfers of the year, we're going to do women and then men. Uh, women's transfer of the year. This category is going to get a lot more uh, play, I think, as the time goes by with the portal and everything. But uh, we got four really strong uh, uh, nominees in uh, uh, in each of these awards. First for the women, Kayla Woodall in softball. From volleyball, Claudia Dillon. From track, Brittany Floyd. And from softball, Janisha Rowe. I'm going to defer once again to Eric Lopez on both Janisha Rowe and Kama Woodall, who were tremendous contributors to UCF this year, Eric, in the portal. Yeah, Janisha Rowe coming over from Florida Gulf Coast, starting at center field. Kira Klarkowski had been the center fielder for four years, graduated. You didn't know what you were going to get at center field, and here she plugged in, hitting the top of the lineup most of the year. Great glove at center field. I mean, it was just nothing you could hit in center field would drop. But then when you look at Kamal Woodall, and I've made this comment, Kamal Woodall is to UCF softball what Mike Hughes is to UCF football. No UCF athletes have made the big impact in a one-and-done year as far as a transfer like a, or somebody transferred from another school like Mike Hughes did in football in 2017 and Kamal Woodall did in 2022. If Kamal Woodall is not on this UCF softball team, they don't win the conference regular season title or the tournament. None of that happens because she filled her role as the one-two punch there with Gianna Mancha. She is the Mike Hughes of, use of softball. Yeah. I mean, I, I, we'll, we'll talk more about came in a little bit in the next segment when we get to performance of the year. But uh, you mentioned Johnny Chiro as well. I mean, what, what a year that she had as well. But I, but I think you're totally right about Kama. It's Man, what a performance she had. But I want to I want to shout out Claudia Dillon here for UCF Volleyball, who was a very quiet transfer, I think, for this program. Came in as a middle blocker, six foot two out of Evergreen, Colorado, previously, but previously played in the SEC at Mizzou. Came in and was a real stalwart up front uh defensively for this this team that was one of the best blocking teams 
in the country. All conference first team is middle blocker. 207 kills, third on the team, uh, 2.65 points per set, uh, 98 blocks this year, and was uh, and was what I thought was really cool. At one point this year, she was named the defensive player of the week one week, and then the offensive player of the week in the conference the next. Uh, and also was a surprisingly good uh, server, 33 aces uh, on the team. So she's a lot more, um, you know, she's, we usually think of middle blockers as kind of one trick ponies, just stand there and jump up all conference first team. What can you, what can you say about, uh, about uh, Claudia Dillon that hasn't been said at least for this year? I'm glad she's coming back for one more year. Uh, and then uh, uh, Bryson, you have made the case for uh, Brittany Floyd who came in, uh, and really contributed mightily for UCF track and field this year. Oh, yes, very much. I mean, Brittany Floyd has can come in and I would argue redefined the expectations for multi-athletes here at UCF. She, she broke the pentathlon school record. In the indoor season, she broke a pentathlon record that has stood since 2009, and she, and she ended up beating it by about 200 points. And then in the outdoor, she beat a a heptathlon record that has stood since 2003. And she beat it by about about 400 points. And oh yeah, she she ended up going to Eugene for it as well. So I mean, and and to to put it in perspective, like doing a pentathlon or heptathlon, doing these multiple track events in the span of like one or two days is extremely hard to do on on your on your body and really exhaust exhaustive and Brittany Floyd just completely redefined what those multi-athletes are doing uh she was working with Natalia Madison who is a younger multi-athlete on there and she was putting up numbers in the heptathlon in around Brit around Brittany's neighborhood she was she's actually third has has the third highest career high all time in the heptathlon so working with so I think Floyd has very much impacted multi-athletes in the track and field program for years. All right. Women's transfer of the year nominees. Once again, Kama Woodall of softball, Janisha Rowe of softball, Claudia Dillon of volleyball, Brittany Floyd of track and field. That takes us to the men's transfer of the year. Four nominees. Once again, from men's soccer, Nick Taylor from men's basketball Mbake Jong from baseball, Connor Stain, and from football, Brandon Johnson. Kyle, I want to start with you and Brandon Johnson of football, uh, who comes from a family that's known for catching things, uh, being the son of former uh, Major League Baseball all-star catcher Charles Johnson. Um, You know, didn't put up a lot of huge numbers at Tennessee, but man, when he came to UCF, he broke out into a touchdown machine, didn't he? Absolutely that. I mean, listen, at some point they figured out that Ryan O'Keefe was a big deal and maybe we should double him and pay a lot of attention. And boy, did that set the table for opportunities for Brandon Johnson, the way he seemed to find the end zone in big moments did great things for the squad. And overall, by the way, his ability to do things away from the ball, like, Hey, the reason why he got the rock is because he could block. I love this physicality uh, for a guy of his size, doing a lot of good things there too. I, uh, you know, one could say what they will about, Big Cat Bryant, who, in my opinion, underperformed his high. Brandon Johnson came in and did a fantastic job in the receiver core. Yeah. Uh, Connor Stain for baseball, Bryson Turner. Um, he had dozens of scouts at one point looking at him, didn't he? Oh, yes, very much. I would not be, I would absolutely be shocked if he didn't get drafted, even with 
the injuries that have hampered him this season, which by the way, in my opinion, one of the biggest what ifs on the baseball team this year is what if Connor Stain wasn't hurt because with his early performances that he was clocking in, he had 10 strikeouts in that win in his, in that win against number two, Ole Miss. He had eight. He also had an eight strikeout performance in USF. He did not give up more than two hits until April 8th. I mean, his, uh, his, it's absolutely insane how well he did. It's just unfortunate that the, his back injury and then a blister on his finger kind of derailed him a little bit, but I mean, with the performances that he did put out, he was, he's definitely a good choice for this award. Uh, one other men's transfer we need to talk about, Kyle, Shek uh, Mbaka Jong, who came over from um, UNLV and was the quintessential rim protector for this team and brought some swag on the floor as well. Yeah, no, I like that you mentioned it. We we talk about C.J. Walker bringing that attitude, the swag that Sheik Mbake Jong does. Listen, he dropped the Dikembe Mutombo swing on his first block of the season. The double. Yeah. Oh, did he do it? Did he do a double? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, hey, listen, props to our good friend Eric DeSalvo for giving us the gift of that, by the way. But at the end of the day, um, he when, when needed at times, he could put up eight to ten points uh, to carry the carry the load as well if concentration was brought to CJ Walker and as a as a transfer coming in to become a captain of the squad an off time show a ton of grit to do what he can for a UCF team who frankly could be outsized a lot it could be him versus a few bigs that are it, it makes it a heck of a battle uh, under the glass she can Jean was an excellent presence to bring things not only on the floor but then to keep things um, uh, fresh and going as a captain as well with at times a freshman point guard, even being wise enough, for example, to let him take it to the hall as we talked about earlier, but yeah, she can Jean was not only a force to reckon with and be intimidating. He had um, a, a great presence and voice after the game as well in press conferences to uh, portray the message that his team was uh, uh, working under as they went through the season. Last nominee, Nick Taylor for men's soccer. You know, it's not every, it's not all the time that you see a guy who transfers in from an in-conference competitor, especially one who's pretty good, as SMU has been over the last few years. But uh, Nick came in from SMU uh, and fit in like a glove with this team, setting up the offense. Uh, was all-conference second team. Uh, finished with uh, play, er, er, star, uh, started in 16 of UCF 17 matches this year uh, and set the table like crazy. Nine assists that's tied for the eighth most, eighth most in a single season in UCF history, just three short of tying the uh, program record. Uh, 18th in the nation with nine assists on the season, like we mentioned. Uh, and was 10th in the nation in assists per game at 0 0.56 and helped UCF got a goal in the uh, semis as well and was so good, in fact, that, the Orla that Orlando City took a shot on him with the 74th pick of the MLS Super Draft. Not just the regular draft, the Super Draft. Uh, and, uh, boy, we were lucky to have him for the one year that we did. Uh, at UCF. So there's your men's transfers of the year. Brandon Johnson for football, Connor Stain for baseball, Shekin Bakajong for basketball, and Nick Taylor for soccer. 
Last individual award before we go to a break, it, we're going to do the comeback athlete of the year. This goes to an athlete who maybe suffered a, 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 an injury or, uh, or another circumstance who missed some significant time or really was in doubt of having a good season this past year and achieved that comeback status. Uh, this, is, this one's always a little subjective, but we love it because it always makes for great stories. From women's basketball, Diamond Battles. From softball, Kennedy Searcy. From baseball, Alex Freeland. And from football, Trillian Coles. Drew, Trillian Coles didn't exactly put up the wildest numbers in the world, but the mere fact that he was just able, that, that he was able to take the field at all after what he's been through with that Achilles injury he suffered uh, is certainly merits uh, a, a lot of attention here, didn't it? Absolutely. And not only that, but I mean, just, you know, the story itself is what really carries it. You know, he's a, a walk on uh, to UCF, played a little bit back in 2019. Uh, you know, Achilles tendon injury, you know, those are those were pretty bad. Those had very long recovery, missed all of the 2020 season. And shortly before the 21 season started, he gets put on scholarship. He gets on the field during the, the game against uh, Bethune-Cookman, 11 rushes, 78 yards, and gets gets a touchdown. And then he, he also had a receiving touchdown, so that kind of that, hey, mom, I did it moment. And, and you, know, you know, while he doesn't have the numbers that a Diamond Battles has, uh, that doesn't make the adversity of having to come back from that kind of injury any less uh, appealing of a story. And just going from walk-on to, to scholarship to scoring the touchdown, kind of hit that moment. Uh, actually resonates a lot with me personally from my own sports history where I never got to that part. I missed out on injury and never came back. He got there. And, and you got to give a lot of respect for guys who go through that kind of recovery from an injury, a bad injury at that. Bryson, Alex Freeland, make the case. Okay, so this comes in the form of a midseason comeback, but I argue that it is a that it deserves this award because of the grit, the, the, the visual grit that Alex Freeland displayed here. He exit, he ended up going out with a wrist injury on, in, on April 15th against East Carolina, and he tried to play through it. You, looking back at that footage, you can tell that he wanted to keep playing, and the trainers checked on him, and he still played, but then they ended up determining that he had to come out. He was out for a month, a month, Jeff, and, he, and then he came back, in the last week, Jeff told, like uh, Greg Lovely told me, uh, I remember that he was kind of 50 50 shot for the last series and they wanted him to come back for the tournament. He came back against Cincinnati, against Cincinnati and he still, and he still, and he still ended up performing. He actually ended up getting a hat so much so that his standout performance, he had a two home run game in their loss in the semifinal against Houston. Like there's, you can talk about the reasons that UCF lost that second semifinal game against Houston, but Alex Freeland was not one of them. And you can tell after his last at bat, the way he was grabbing his wrist, he was in pain, Jeff, but he came back anyway. And he did that. So I know you can, I know people can talk about, Oh, it has to be a previous season, but this mid season comeback and the grit, that Freeland had to go through in order to do that. I'm sorry. I, I, I think he deserves it for, for this. Eric Lopez, tell us about Kennedy Searcy. What did she come back from and why do you think she would deserve this award? Tore an ACL. She tore last April in Greenville. Ended her season. UCF never really was the same team without her. They've won over 80% of games that she's started since she's been at UCF. 
didn't get cleared to play until uh, the week of opening week of the season against Georgia. It was a couple days beforehand that she got cleared, and even then was only cleared to DP, couldn't play the field right away. Eventually, not only does she play the field, she excels at third base. She comes back better than ever, hits all co- uh, uh, and is all-conference performer, and really filled a big hole for them because it allows Jada Cody to catch, and she got to play third base. All of that coming from a torn ACL, and she even admitted to me and Bryson throughout the year she wasn't 100% until really at the end of the year, you know, fully. Uh, so I think the best is still to come from Kennedy Searcy. But, you know, considering how there wasn't a lot of high expectations about her going into the season because of that injury recovery, it's uh, it's been pretty remarkable. Uh, Diamond Battles, Kyle Nash, we saw her – get carried off the floor in that NCAA tournament game last season. And I think all of us had that pit in our stomach watching that thinking, Oh my God, we're not going to see diamond battles for another year. Not only does she come back straight away from recovering from that injury, but is the conference defensive player of the year and conference overall player of the year. Yes. We're going to miss her as she makes her way up to Athens, but what a performance this year. Absolutely. And and listen, as I was gearing up to cover the women's basketball for the first time, uh, Elo himself kind of briefed me and prepped me. Hey, you're going to talk to Diamond. Um, She got injured. You know, let's see. I'll talk to her about that. See what she's going to do about recovery and how that feels. To be honest in talking to her, I didn't even bring it up because she was that raring to go already. (laughs) And in the listen, the the first uh, loss of the year where they faced Tennessee and nearly beat an SEC squad, I might add. While they struggled as a team, I asked Coach Abe that night, well, uh, what was, you know, there was a close match. We talked about what fell wrong. What was the high point of your team? In a single word, without hesitation, Diamond. Diamond was there. She was the one that was consistent. And game in and game out, she was a force defensively. She was a force offensively. She could take it to the hole. She could shoot it from three. She could pass the dang ball. And every scouting report, Diamond battles with name on the list. And Jeff, here's the thing about it. What resonates most with her is the fact that she is an influencer as a leader for her team, of course. But when other UCF athletes, regardless of gender, talk about who they emulate as a performer overall, they mention none other than diamond battles. And dang it, while the opportunity was missing here in Orlando, I hope she gets an NIL with a jeweler somewhere because that's a missed opportunity. Dang it. Such a missed opportunity. I'm not going to lie to you. Well, she did get some jewelry this past year. Diamond Battles, Kennedy, Searcy, Alex Freeland, Trillion Coles, Comeback Athletes of the Year. Remember, folks, you can vote on this and all of our awards over the next couple of weeks on blackandgoldbanneret.com. Follow us on Twitter, UCF Banneret underscore SBN. Uh, all right, take a break. When we come back, we got a lot to still get to, and this is going to be the fun part of the show. Game of the year, story of the year, play of the year, moment of the year, individual performances, and of course, athlete and team of the year as we wrap up the 2022 Black and Gold Banneret Awards here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Stick around. We are back after this. We are back here for the 2022 Black and Gold Banneret Awards nomination show. I'm Jeff Sharon. We have the full crew here, Eric Lopez, Bryson Turner, Andrew Glukov and Kyle Nash. And we are moving to the, what, what I think is like the, 
the momentum is really going to pick up now as we move to the more of the team and moment and things that happened awards. Uh, and we're going to start with the game of the year. We've split this off into men's and women's this year. Uh, we will start with the men's game of the year. Uh, we have four nominees. Two of them are football games. Number one, the Gasparilla Bowl, UCF defeating Florida. Number two, the Boise State opener, which happened so early that probably hardly any of you watched it. No, you all watched it. Um, we have uh, baseball's victory, oh, one nothing victory over number two, Ole Miss. Ole Miss in the championship series, by the way. Uh, and men's basketball's victory over the Michigan Wolverines at home, Juwan Howard and company. Um, let's start with uh, that Boise State game because that was really, you know, I, I went back and look at the highlights of that game and, and Kyle, I'll start with you, or, or excuse me, Drew, I'll start with you on this one. The, the, when you go back and look at, you're down 24 seven and UCF comes back. I thought this really could have been, you know, all the sour, the sourness that we have, the, the fans have towards Dylan Gabriel, boy, it did not exist, exist that night because we thought we were going to see a brand new, much more diversified quarterback out there with that game. And what a way for Gus to make his uh, UCF debut. Of course, the weather was a factor delaying the game, but wow, if you stayed up for it, it lived up to the hype. Well, uh, you say delay. I mean, delay is a kind of an understatement for what actually happened. Two <laughs> hours and 45 minutes worth of delay. Uh, every time, you know, they start getting ready to go, oh, more lightning, there's another 30-minute delay. So I, both teams are thrown off by this, but – Boise State exploded out of the gate. They had a 14-0 first quarter lead. I mean, it looked like everything was just falling apart. Uh, but, you know, as you said, Dylan Gabriel had himself a, a pretty good game, 300 yards passing, uh, you know, four touchdowns, uh, he threw a couple picks. But I, I think with one of the things that we talked about many times when he was first a freshman in 2019 was the fact he wasn't running. Then in 2020, we saw him moving the ball more. 12 carries, 64 yards. I mean, with a long of 23, uh, he, he was able to, to take it and run. But this was also the exploding coming out party of one Isaiah Bowser. 33 carries, 172 yards, and a big touchdown uh, that, that helped propel to a 36-31 game. This was a statement game for, for Isaiah Bowser that established him as, as a, a fan favorite among the team as well as the number one guy. Uh, we also saw... You know, uh, Jalen Robinson had himself a good game. Uh, Brandon Johnson had had a touchdown on his debut as a transfer. Uh, you know, this was a game of momentum. And, you know, much like we saw with with UCF early after the Louisville game, you know, momentum stopped. Things weren't looking good. They picked up and they kept going. It was almost a microcosm of the entire season. Yeah. Um, man, am I glad we still managed to get the victory that night, though? It would have been a, a real waste if we lost staying up that late, wasn't it? Um, still, one of, uh, that's got to be one of my favorite games, really, of all time. But I'm with the people who say that, you know, hey, look, there's some real history when UCF beat Florida in the, uh, in the Gasparilla Bowl uh, in Tampa, in, in the state of Florida, Third matchup all time between these two schools. A nice one, 29-17 um, in a game where it, it really was, I think, a, a pure team effort, Eric Lopez. One of my favorite uh, stats from this game, Elo, is the fact that uh, this was, uh, let's see, I had uh, uh, it was the first time that 
Florida lost to a team from the state of Florida other than Miami or Florida State since Stetson in 1938. Uh, it speaks credit, much, to, yeah, credit I mean, to Andrea Adelson for that stat. But wow, what a night that was for the program. Well, it shows how much gutless Florida is as far as playing teams in general. But um, hey, uh, look, obviously, look, this made UCF's football season. This was like all the negativity or issues or however you want to, you know, look back at UCF football. So kind of got erased with the Florida win hugely big for Gus Malzahn. Don't and, and really, I think. Uh, for those that maybe had lost confidence after the first year was shaky for whatever reason, whether you agree with it or not, I'm not saying you have to agree with it to take that win was huge. And obviously with everything that played out tribute to Otis and everything, absolutely was big. It was a Kyle. This is why bowl games work because teams like bowl games, because it's a second chance in a season. If things don't go well uh, during the year. And this is the perfect example. This is a game. This is going to be the game and moment, and that will be remembered anytime you think of the UCF football season come 2021. And hey, listen, I could argue this might be the best performing Gasparilla Bowl for some time to come as far as attendance. I don't see a way it gets better than this. Draw big numbers too on television, mm-hmm. over 3 million on that. Uh, and look, the performance in that second half, in that fourth quarter, where they dominated the line of scrimmage against Florida and SEC yeah, physically, team, that physically was the big one. Yeah. Beat them. Physically beat yeah. them. That was so satisfying to watch. Uh, I want to go to uh, uh, Bryson here and talk about that baseball win against number two Ole Miss. You know, you talk about drama, all right? Number two team in the country coming into town. It was Citronaut Day. Uh, game goes 12 innings, and UCF gets the win on a, a, a Riley Wash RBI single in the bottom of the 12th. Connor Stain was fantastic that day. Seven innings, 10 Ks. Uh, despite getting the no decision um, and uh, and UCF goes toe to toe with a team that may very well win the national championship and uh, and they get the victory in, uh, in in dramatic fashion. You know, maybe the season wasn't the greatest season in the world for UCF baseball, but wow, they'll have that win to hang their hat on. Oh, yeah. Like uh, for me, I think that this game is sort of an emblematic of like where this program can be at its best because Again, they were hampered by injuries. This was before all that. And they and they put up an amazing fight against the number two team in the country and possibly, possibly potential College World Series champions. Who knows? I mean, Jeffrey Pena went three for four on the night and was the winning run that Riley Wash, score, that Riley Wash scored in t- the 12th inning. And major props for Connor Stain getting... 10 strikeouts, only allowing two hits in seven innings. And then Chasen Tala transfer. He had, he gets six strikeouts in uh, only allows one, one hit three walks. I mean, and he lasted for five innings. That is a lot longer than usually you want to rely on a relief pitcher for. So absolutely well done performance by this, this team in that game. And I think really shows what this program is capable of at its best. Kyle, the highlight of the men's basketball season, I think, was that victory over Juwan Howard in Michigan. All the hype coming into that game. Uh, UCF was uh, four. Let's see, five and two, six and two, seven and two, uh, eight and two. They were eight and two. They go to nine and two in that game, December thirtieth. Big time crowd and a second half really to remember because UCF was down four, almost ninety four hundred people in the arena that night. It was jam packed to see Juwan Howard and the Michigan Wolverines and UCF outscores Michigan 54 36 in the second half. 
thanks in large part to Darren Green and Brandon Mahan, who combined for 53 points together. And UCF also was eight for eight from three-point range in the second half. It was just a remarkable performance. Remarkable doesn't even begin to start, Jeff. Easily the second half of basketball, best second half of basketball as a performance goes that I've ever witnessed personally in any game that I've attended college pro or otherwise. And and listen, I'm going to take the opportunity to credit all of you helping me on on Twitter. I am from being not traumatized, just completely shook. I have no idea how to interpret what I saw. If you guys didn't remind me, yes, this stuff is statistically that nuts. Yes, the atmosphere was that electric. You aren't being biased. It was really like that kind of game. If you accused me of bias here, I would have to recuse myself were I a judge. Just a completely electric moment all the way around. Four games of the year for nominations, two football games, the Gasparilla Bowl against Florida, the Boise State opener, the Michigan win to get for men's basketball at home, and the one nothing win in 12 innings for no, uh, over number two Ole Miss for baseball. Those are your four nominees for men's game of the year. Women's game of the year, we got five nominations in this category, two women's basketball, two softball, and a track and field. For track, the outdoor uh, AAC championship, which UCF won. Uh, for softball, the – uh walk-off win uh over uh georgia on opening night and later on in the season the win over michigan in the ncaa regions the 11 inning uh dramatic win on espn2 uh for ucf softball and then the two women's basketball games the uh, american athletic championship title game against usf uh and then the ncaa first round game against the florida gators bryson i'm going to start with you with the ncaa uh, track and field meet where UCF clinched the double, winning both the indoor and the outdoor, and a great performance for the Knights uh, in the conference meet. Oh, yes, e- extremely well. Renaya, of course, was Renaya. Latasha, but this was one where the entire team showed up. Latasha Smith, Ashera Collins, Adrian Adams. Like the it's a, it was a who's who of the of UCF track and field to the point where UCF set a meet score record in this game. She got with 163 points, dominated the re- the rest of the field with Houston coming in at second at 105.5. I mean, there is a reason that Dana Boone got that outdoor co- got that outdoor coaching staff of the, of the year award. It was an absolute domination on the track for UCF like I remember when they on the last day when when the track finals were coming in and UCF just immediately shot of the leaderboard as soon as those track finals were coming in and, and at the Knights were getting points every which way you look so absolutely dominating performance and it really deserves its spot in the in the nominations for this award Eric Lopez let's talk about those two softball games because they're almost bookends to one another uh, with UCF uh, opening the season in dramatic fashion with a victory over Georgia uh, on that uh, on that uh, uh, famous home run by Shannon Doherty in the eighth inning, um, that uh, that kind of set the tone for UCF. And then later on in the season, and at the and my personal favorite, the eleven inning win over Michigan, the drama of college softball uh, on full display uh, in that game, three to two in eleven innings uh, on ESPN two, nonetheless, right. Something UCF softball hasn't done yet. Sure. Came Woodall going the distance against the number, uh, against number 24 team in the country and UCF coming back from down two to nothing late in that game 
to force it to extras and win it. I mean, take your pick. Well, let's start with the Georgia game. That was set the tone for the season. It was a game that it turned out to be the most watched uh, event, uh, however you want to programming on ESPN Plus. We were told after the fact, blew up Twitter. Everybody was watching, trending. Uh, wild back and forth game, first game of the season that it was capped off by Shannon Doherty's walk-off homer in the eighth inning, which is one of the most popular clips that's been played and uh, helped me w- get nominated for a broadcast call here, for here. National Award. So there yeah. you go. Thank you, Shannon Doherty. Appreciate you. Uh, but it really did set the tone for their season they would have. And then the Michigan game you mentioned, winner's bracket game. UCF had never won a winner's bracket game in the history, in the NCAA tournament ever until that game. But they were down to their last strike. Matty Bejarano with the base hit to tie the game. Kamal Woodall was going 11, went 11 innings through 181 pitches. Bryson, you were outside with the media because, as Andrew brought up earlier in the show, eh, there's some issues to be worked at on the facilities at softball there, Kyle. You don't have to worry about being outside in the sun with no shade at the basketball arena. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, <laughs> Bryson, how hot was it? Uh, it was hot enough that I got a sunburn on my face, and it was enough for me to get a low-grade fever afterwards because of how badly my forehead was sunburned. Thank you. Very go. Confirmation. And she stayed and pitched all 11 innings. The social people are saying, like, isn't she going to pull her out? Going to take her out? Nope, she didn't. And then Maddie Perrano with the base hit down the line to win it 3-2. to two. It's the biggest win ever in the program at home. Biggest win. That crowd was incredible. It set them up nicely because you remember that regional rain came afterwards. Michigan had to play early, uh, two game, a game before the regional final the next day because of weather issues. If UCF doesn't win that game, uh, they probably, I don't know if they win that regional, but uh, uh, an unbelievable day that I will never forget with incredible conditions as Bryson just brought up. I, you know, it's, it's the stuff that legends are made of. It's, it's the moment that we'd all been waiting to see, I think, in the, in the Plex for years. And boy, did it, uh, did it Drew live more up to television the viewers, by the way, than UCF Michigan basketball did. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, I want to go to Kyle for the two women's basketball games, which are really back-to-back games. The AAC title game against South Florida, this was a, 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 a matchup of the heavyweights in the American. It, they were on a collision course all year. It was this game was as tight as it could be all throughout, and UCF finally pulled it out in the fourth quarter. held UC, held USF to six points en route to an eight point victory. Um, let's not forget that UCF was down two at the start of the fourth quarter when they finally, you know, were able to pull it out. Uh, Diamond Battles with seventeen points, uh, nine points and nine rebounds from Osni Kaba in this game. Uh, and it was just, it was just such a clash. And then finally, you know, even though it wasn't as dramatic a game uh, as that previous game, first round of the NCAAs in stores, uh, UCF playing Florida again in the postseason, and the Knights get their first ever NCAA tournament victory. I don't think the significance of this can be understated. Um, sure. It wasn't really an upset in the truest sense of the word, but the fact that UCF dominated Florida in this game um, and and set up the the game against UConn, which, you know, we all know how that went. But, you know, I, I just think that that game's significance of winning an NCAA tournament game for the first time in school history after so many tries uh, can't be understated. But I think I know what way you're going to go here. 
Yeah, absolutely. Listen, and as for the Florida game, part of the reason why that game is now so unmemorable is the fact that Brittany Buckets went precisely nuts in the game in question. But hey, listen, at the end of the day, I don't care about the wambulance that Elo and Bryson are calling. Oh, I'm getting thunbird. That's wonderful. The fire and passion that you saw in the the uh, USF and USF battle, the third of the year, I might add, and a rivalry that, well, while some on this po- <laughs> panel may lamented and some may not of it going away in football at the end of the day the horns down concept for UCF fans is absolutely huge and say what you will last uh, the previous year USF won the day on the strength of shooting it from the cheap seats trying to take them well actually successfully taking UCF down from beyond the arc pretty ball as coach Abe used to call it but not so in this game USF had a huge contribution down low from Bethy Manunga you saw battle in the paint you saw plenty of fire being launched from beyond the arc and a lot of a lot of outside shooting it was a very versatile offense because the we saw some tempers flaring in that game too it there was, was a little bit more fire too I, I I remember putting a tweet in the game of of Masni Kappa staring down I forget which player it was from USF but it was one of those who are you looking at kind of exchanges? Definitely something worth mention, right? You are there, Jeff. I mean, who? listen, bring the sunscreen and I'm indoors, okay? Mm. At the end of the day, being able to take down USF three times, being able, A, being able to get past Coach Jose um, and doing all of that to finally get to that mountaintop, set the history to that point, get the highest seed in program history. And and listen, I'm not saying the Florida game wasn't significant, but boy, you'll pardon the pun, but Diamond led her team into some battles to get that one. I'm not doing it. Not doing it. No. Um, Someone mute him. Shut up, Drew. You called for it. Your five nominees for women's game of the year. Uh, UCF defeating Michigan in softball in 11 innings in the NCAAs. Uh, UCF softball walking off Georgia in the season opener. Uh, UCF women's basketball beating South Florida in the American Championship. UCF women's basketball beating Florida in the first round of the NCAAs. And of course, the track and field outdoor AACs. Here's a fun one that I think we want, I wanted to get to. Uh, story of the year. Um, we have three. These are kind of like the, what are the, what were the, big picture stories for UCF coming out of this year that we follow and we thought were the really significant stories that, that are came to define this past year uh, in UCF sports. We've got three of them. Number one, UCF going to the big 12. I mean, it's, that's, that's pretty big. And that was finally, that was finalized this year. Uh, seems like a while ago, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> women's basketball, finally, finally breaking through. And winning the American after years and years of being stonewalled by UConn and coming so close against South Florida, they finally break through, win the American. And finally, the Orlando NCAA softball regional, UCF hosting a regional for the first time in school history and winning the regional. Uh, let's go. Let's, I want to start with the other two first, but uh, Eric, the significance of hosting a regional, it means your program has arrived. Absolutely. And softball, well, that, was, that was the big question. Could softball ever host? People were skeptical. Well, they don't have the, you know, the, the Florida and Florida State are in the state. They're never going to be able to do it. That was the big moment. And then they get to host an incredible celebration, which everybody was at 
the week before. Then they host it, sells out on Tuesday. You have this place packed. If it wasn't for Mother Nature, we would have had later start times. I think we would have even had bigger crowds. But as is, we probably had about 1,500, 2,000. And then to host that regional, the environment, the alumni coming back in droves, a marquee regional with Michigan in it. And then to that to win that regional, uh, it's a moment I'll never forget. Like, if I could loop any weekend for the rest of my life, just loop it. That's the weekend I'm looping it for the rest of my life. I'm good. Uh, it's a moment I'll never be forgotten. It's not something that, that's common. Baseball's never hosted. Uh, volleyball hosted once. Uh, men's soccer uh, has hosted a, a, a never hosted a round of 16. They've, they've hosted a couple of NCAA tournament games. Soccer has a different format, but, uh, and you know, tracks host. But I, I would say this is a, a significant moment that brought a lot of casual people and fans to this event. I mean, this was this was bigger than UCF. Kyle, women's basketball finally breaking three, getting breaking through, getting the monkey off their back after years of UConn just dominating this conference. And then they come so close yet so far against South Florida last year for them to finally break through, win the conference, hang that banner. It was a tremendous moment for the program. And it was the first time that they won both the regular season championship and the conference tournament championship since the A Sundays in almost in more than uh, 20 years. So this is a big moment for that program as well. And just a tremendous story seeing them finally seeing them achieve that crescendo of performance. Yeah, absolutely. And listen, specifically to when they clinched the conference at home against Cincinnati, the team that uh, earlier in the year offered them their worst loss on the docket to do it against them to dominate in the fashion they did. Destiny Thomas with a a triple-double herself and just everybody basically going off in some way, shape, form, or fashion was, was really a great way to pay tribute to the fans for the way that they were supported throughout the year and, and all the hype that was gained there too. Uh, one last time to see Diamond Battles come out on senior night as she did. Masni Kaba also uh, putting a swan song in after a thousand point season and, and all of that and, and really a great opportunity. What would turn out to be an ultimate farewell um, therein. Um, I don't believe they played again at home in a significant air quotes uh, game because the rest of it was in a um, a Connecticut for the tourney. So at the end of the day, you know, it was, it was a great high point for them to depart on and and was the first of several bits of history made uh, for the squad. And, you know, one last time for the fans to say goodbye um, as it would turn out and, and, and celebrate the greatness that was this team. Drew, the floor goes to you for this move about the Big 12. And, and, and I guess we can throw the Sun Belt in there as well. But, you know, this is how big is, you know, really put it into perspective here, into context. UCF getting the invitation to the Big 12 and becoming a Power 5 school. We got to go back to, to around 1990 when UCF first joined Division One. They went in the American South Conference, which probably almost no one's heard of. Then the Sun Belt, then the TAC slashed ASUN, a football stint in the MAC, Conference USA, the American. They went from nobody, from being an absolute nobody, to being part of the Power Five as a culmination of 30 plus years of Division I athletics. Uh, it's an opportunity that 
almost no school has ever had that level of growth. You know, they're the youngest school to ever join the Power Five. Uh, this is the culmination of, of a resume that has been built over the last decade plus in all sports. Uh, they, they, they're tied with Houston for the most conference championships in America. This is not a case of just being in the right place at the right time. This is not just being lucky. This is a resume that has been earned. UCF has earned this opportunity. And I think that's what makes it that much more fulfilling. Uh, this is a game changer. We know that Power Five conference schools get more money, get more prestige, and get more opportunity. And UCF's going to, as of July 1st next year, is going to count themselves as part of it. We thought we were getting that with the Big East when in 2011 UCF got the invite and then everything fell apart. Now it looks like UCF's got another opportunity and I think has a better opportunity since the conference is, is, a, is a much more stable conference. There's no uh, hybrid set up multiple you know, agendas. Uh, this is by far, in my opinion, the biggest story for, uh, for this year. I, I think it dwarfs them all. All right. So there's your three stories here. I think we know which one's going to win here. Uh, Big 12, women's basketball winning the American and the Orlando softball regional for story of the year. Play of the year, we have five nominees. Men's basketball, Darren Green's buzzer beater against ECU to win that game, a three-pointer at the horn. Softball, Shannon Doherty's walk-off homer and bat flip against against University of Georgia. Uh, women's basketball, Diamond Battles is game-winning reverse layup against Arkansas at home, set the tone for the season. Baseball, Riley Wash's walk-off uh, hit against number two Ole Miss that won UCF that one nothing game we talked about earlier. And then an, one more thing uh, for softball, uh, UCF getting the victory over Houston in the American uh, semis on a, uh, a walk-off home run in the eighth inning uh, uh, by Savannah, Savannah Adams. Adams. Freshman, yeah, and, pitch hitting. And, Another 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 freshman contributing for UCF softball, so that's always fun to see. But uh, I want to go through these pretty quickly because you know we're going we're going pretty long. But um, I, I want to speak real quick to the Darren Green buzzer beater real quick. Credit to you, you know this is this is kind of Darren's big moment at UCF. I think we'll remember him for this. Of course, he transferred to Florida State, but. You know, in a game that was a really tough one for at a really tough point in the season for UCF to get that victory at the buzzer on a true buzzer beater was really satisfying to watch. And just to show the the greatness of Darren Green as a shooter, how he was first of all, everyone knew he was getting the ball and he got open and got the foot and, and had his and by the way, some Ray Allen esque footwork, getting his feet behind the line, setting himself, getting the ball off, and winning the game for UCF. That was fun to see from my perspective. Eric. Two softball plays. I mean, we could probably we could probably separate out our own, you know, Shannon we could have really, yeah, winning we, hit of the year. Like we could have done a, we wanted to. We could have done a Doherty. We could have done a Doherty trilogy. We could have done a ton of softball. Uh, the Doherty Georgia one obviously speaks for itself. We discussed that earlier. It's up for a national award. It's probably going to be one of the most. It's one of the most memorable clips and moments in the history of that program. Maybe in UCF's athletics in general, like non softball fans, Richard. But I want to talk Savannah Adams. Because this might be as significant of a pinch hit home run we'll ever see in any UCF sport. Bottom of the eight, Houston. UCF's in a position to host. I spoke to people in the committee recently who admitted to me, if UCF loses this game to Houston, 
there's a good chance they're not hosting and probably going to Gainesville, which means Bryson and I would have been eating at McAllister up there in Gainesville, getting ready to cover a regional. So the game is 2-2. There's bad weather because it's Greenville. It's always bad weather. What kind of dumb conference would schedule a tournament in Greenville in May? Anyway, uh, Gianna Mancha, blister issues in the eighth inning. You don't know how long she's going to go. Sydney Ball Malone calls Savannah Adams' number. A freshman, hadn't hit a home run all year, hits a two-run homer to walk it off, basically win the title because they destroyed South Florida the next day. Savannah Adams, it's the biggest pinch hit home run in the history of UCF baseball or softball. Without that homer, I don't think UCF hosts. That's why Sydney Ball Malone got taken care of this week by Terry Mahajer and UCF with an extension through 2027 which uh, make uh, and compensated very well, and rightfully so. That, mm-hmm. to me, is a significant moment. UCF doesn't host without that Adams homer. Diamond Battles, game winner against Arkansas. Bryson, I want to defer to you on this one because uh, you pushed hard for this one, er, and and it was you know kind of a crowning moment for Diamond, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, I would agree. Uh, Arkansas it was, one of, was one of those, uh, I guess when you say high-profile games, for you for the women's basketball program this year i mean coming off of that can coming off of that cancun challenge and i mean it was just a beautiful reverse layup like when you're we're looking at play of the year we're like looking at the execution of the play and i think that diamond battles is execution like you wouldn't have known that this was a game-winning layup that if she misses then they're gonna lose and the pressure is on and she made it look effortless when she when she did that so I think that when you when you look at it from a pure execution standpoint to making it look easy in a high pressure situation, then Diamond absolutely killed it right there. And uh, Riley Wash, which we talked about earlier, that uh, that game winning hit uh, for UCF getting the victory over uh, Ole Miss, a significant moment as we're going to see as he drove in Jeffrey Pena for the winning hit. So there's your five nominees for play of the year: Darren Green's buzzer beater against ECU. Shannon Doherty's walk-off versus Georgia, Diamond Battles uh, game-winning layup against Arkansas, Riley Wash's walk-off against Ole Miss, and Savannah Adams' pinch-hit semifinal homer. I think that's the sleeper one here for UCF softball. It's like the moment for the American tournament. Everyone remembers what this happened in the semifinal, but everyone forgets you had to do the final, but it's for good reason. Moment of the year. We've got uh, a few of these that we've got to get through. That we got to get through, but you know, it, some of them kind of overlap with a few things. But I think you kind of get like, you know, what's this one moment that we real that really transcends not just a game or a great play? All right. Um, I think I know which one's going to win here. Of course, Ryan O'Keefe tribute to Otis Anderson as he scored that long touchdown that put UCF up for good in the Gasparilla Bowl. That's one. UCF winning the regional in uh, softball, knocking off Michigan the second time, advancing to the Supers for the first time in school history. Women's basketball, cutting down the nets after clinching the American Athletic Conference uh, regular season championship at home against Cincinnati. Softball on Selection Sunday, getting that regional, seeing their name come up on the board and seeing them as a host. And then finally, this actually I think this, is good. this one's going to make it tougher than everyone else. Mackenzie Milton, Returning to the bounce house and playing on the field at UCF for the final time at the Hula Bowl, uh, ending, as it turns out, ending his college football career and his football career by playing in that game back at home. Um, five really good moments here. Uh, I want to talk, uh, or Drew, 
let's start with you and talking about Ryan O'Keefe and that moment uh, in the Gasparilla Bowl. Spontaneous or not, I don't know. We didn't ask Ryan O'Keefe about that, but um, iconic, I think is how I would describe it. I call it divine. And the reason why is if you actually look back, it was a 54-yard touchdown reception by Ryan O'Keefe. The play that Otis Anderson got famous for in 2018 against Memphis in the American Athletic Conference Championship game was for 54 yards. So we're talking the same distance. I mean, that's that's divine. That that's just not iconic. There's something more to it. Uh, obviously, you know, first game after the passing of Anderson, and and he was such a, a motivator for that team going going into that, and it was a tribute to to an all around great guy uh, who was taken way too soon. So I I, I think that you got the iconic side of the picture, but you get the divine part of the fact that they scored and did the same thing on the same distance. And, and it's like, how do you do that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, we have the photos. It'll live forever. But I want to uh, say something for the Mackenzie Milton at the Hula Bowl game. We were all excited to see that. We knew that it would be used at Mackenzie's last game, last college appearance at, uh, at, at the bounce house, we did not know until several months later that that would end up being the final time he would take the football field, as far as we know. And the reception that he got from the hula, from the, the fans who showed up, they showed up for him and they showed out for him. And to have that one final moment of him taking that field after all he's been through, I think was, it was a really emotional moment and certainly one I'll never forget. I did PA for that game. Um, it really was a remarkable moment and it was so satisfying to see that, to see him on that field once again. Uh, Eric, we've talked before about, you know, the significance of winning a regional, but that moment of finally breaking through, what was it like? Euphoria. I mean, a lot of people that follow the program for a long time didn't think it would happen. It happened. The joy was incredible. The atmosphere, I mean, the, the, you saw the reaction on the selection show. I mean, ESPN loved it. There was like one of the best reactions throughout the country. Uh, people were like, wow, that was awesome that they got to host. People were rooting for UCF to host, which was great. People love UCF softball, unlike other UCF sports a few years ago. Um, it's amazing what happens. And look, they got a chance to host arguably the biggest NCAA championship that's been ever hosted on campus, ever, arguably. Softball NCAA tournament has exploded on television. It would be the equivalent of football if UCF ever gets to host a playoff game or if men's basketball, they had the tournament and they held it on campus. That's how significant it was. And to host it, to finally say, yep, we made it, uh, will never be forgotten. Yeah. I mean, take your pick on that one. And we, you know, we saw the video hosting the regional. I mean, that was... You know, seeing that name pop up, you like you said, I mean, the national reaction was and really to something. win it, and then to win it, then that basically, I mean, it'll be remembered for it'll set the tone for future UCF teams, future players. It broke barriers, broke barriers that'll be long remembered for years and years. Standard yeah. set, pretty much. <laughs> um, Kyle, UCF clinching that American Athletic Conference championship at home, um, cutting down the nets at home. Uh, something that we've never gotten the chance to do in UCF women's basketball uh, history. And we and we saw it. It was the culmination of so much emotion and so much effort. And it finally happened. Absolutely. And, and, and you know, kind of kind of remark to to uh, 
some of Coach Abe's frustration after the loss in the second round of the NCAA tournament uh, to, Net- to Connecticut and how some of that went, um, you know, how all the Florida teams, six of them, I think it was, was playing, uh, uh, four of them were playing in Connecticut, I think, or maybe all six of them were, I don't remember. <laughs> Excuse me. And then all of that frustration there. Imagine having to be at the at, at falling just short constantly of Connecticut because they're in the conference and getting the monkey off off of uh, the program's back. Coach Abe was the last one to go up and get her piece of net. And and for somebody who was always um, uh, loath to look ahead to the next game or to to get too excited about what they were doing and getting hot, worried about being ranked and all that. Finally, she herself, after that game, would join her players in calling that uh, program and that performance last year iconic. Yeah. So there's your moment of the year nominees. Uh, Ryan O'Keefe in the Gasparilla Bowl, UCF winning the softball regional. Uh, Women's basketball clinching the American title at home. Uh, Softball actually uh, getting selected to host the regional. And Mackenzie Milton's farewell at the Hula Bowl. Uh, Individual performance of the year, men's and women's. Here we go. Uh, we've t- we'll, we can roll through these a little bit quickly because we've uh, we've already done. But the, uh, I wanted to get the stats out there for this one too. Uh, first nominee, Ryan O'Keefe in the Gasparobo. Obviously, the great moment. But man, what a game he had as well. Uh, Connor Stain in baseball against Ole Miss, which we talked about earlier. Ten Ks over seven innings. Uh, Darren Green and Brandon Mayhem combining for 53 points together uh, against Michigan, including eight for eight from three-point range. Men's soccer, uh, Cowboys' hat trick against Florida Gulf Coast was a, it was a remarkable performance, only hat trick of the year for soccer. And men's tennis, Karate and White beating the number one pair in the country in their first match together. Um, uh, Bryson, tell us more about the men's tennis, because that, you know, that one I think kind of flew under the radar. Oh, yes. Men's tennis. It was unfortunate in, in, in that they didn't exactly have the best year. You know, you lost the best men's tennis player of all time and gave to camps. You kind of have to be able to reset a little bit. But one thing that this team did fairly well is in doubles and Leighton Cronhey and Cooper White. Cooper White came uh, Cooper White came in, uh, came in uh, and first time ever in competition with Leighton Cronhey against the number one pair in the country against Ohio State. And they win it. I mean, it's one of those things where just the t- the season may have been on the overall downturn, but that one performance, that one shining moment, was I think was a really great moment for men's ten for men's tennis. Uh, I was finally able to get the uh, individual statistics for uh, for Ryan O'Keefe uh, rushing four carries, one hundred and ten yards, including a seventy four yarder. Uh, and then receiving seven catches, 85 yards, and one 54-yard touchdown. Um, I, for, I forgot how good the, that performance really was uh, when you really think about it, a, a crowning achievement there. Um, and then uh, going back to the uh, men's soccer uh, hat trick uh, as well, you know, in a season where I think, you know, the, the, again, I've mentioned this before, transitional season uh, for um, – for UCF men's soccer. And uh, by the way, we just saw their schedule come out too. And it's going to be a busy schedule in the American um, this year. But, uh, you know, we talk about, you know, hat tricks, which are, uh, which are so rare. Um, You know, we got one uh, earlier this season 
Uh, gosh, I'm messing this up terribly. Um, the against Florida Gulf Coast that six to two victory. Alessandro Campoy uh, scoring two the first two goals, and then the fourth goal that actually turned out to be uh, the key. Luca Dorado also scored uh, also scored uh, two himself. But I was, forgive me, Campoy actually scored four goals in that game. Um, yeah. And uh, wow, <laughs> you, you don't really see it oh. that often. That's when we saw this. Offense would really be humming. Oh, I remember I was talking to Eric about this because I you look at Alessandro Campoy and you don't really see he scored four goals all season last year again with with Florida International. And he goes and scores five goals this season, and four of them come in this one game against Florida Gulf Coast. I don't care how good or bad the opponent is, you get this type of performance as been the last time a UCF soccer player scored four or more goals in one game was Heike Ritvinen. UCF Hall of Famer in 1998, and now someone else has finally done it, and it's and it's this Alessandro Campoy, and it's four of the five goals he would get all season. Just an absolutely, he just went nuclear for this one game, and I love it. Alessandro Campoy's hat trick versus Florida Gulf Coast, uh, men's tennis beating number one doubles pair, uh, Green and Mahan against Michigan, Connor Sane versus Ole Miss, and Ryan O'Keefe and the Gasper, well, your men's individual performances of the year nominations. Don't forget that uh, Andrew also mentioned the 56-yard kickoff return that O'Keefe had in that game. Too. Three huge plays from him in that game. Women's individual performance of the year, volleyball, McKenna Melville. You know, we haven't heard her name a whole lot so far. We're about to. Against Florida State this year, career-high 27 kills, career-high 28 digs in the same match, uh, a five-set win over Florida State. Brittany Smith against Florida in that NCAA uh, tournament game uh, showing out and pushing UCF past the Gators career high in points for her two track and field performances. Brittany Floyd breaking a 19 year old heptathlon record uh, in winning the heptathlon down in Miami and Renia Jones winning three golds in the AAC indoor championships. Uh, women's golf to Nerada Pidden setting a new 54 hole school record uh, and then finally, two softball uh, performances. Kama Woodall's 11-inning performance against Michigan goes the distance, wins it for UCF, and Jada Cody's two home runs versus Villanova uh, as well in the NCAAs in the opener uh, of the Orlando Regional. Um, I don't know what else you can say about McKenna Millwall that hasn't already been said over the past several years for us. Kyle, Brittany Smith in that game against Florida, real quick, uh, was in the zone. Oh, to say the least. And, you know, while she's usually seen as the least, how you say, I'll say least physical of the big post players being Destiny Thomas and Masani Kaba as the other two, she brought in that big, uh, that Brittany bucket swag of hitting the outside shot and was just knocking people over. And this is the SEC. They're not known for timid basketball, per se. <laughs> and, and while, listen, while they, uh, uh, Florida did have some injuries going into it, I don't believe the front court was the biggest issue for that group. And Brittany, uh, you, you can talk to her before the game. She was, you know, looking at looking that for to be a tougher matchup. And sure enough, she delivered something big. The only problem with the performance in question is, like we mentioned earlier, made the game, unfortunately, a lot less memorable than we might have liked for the first victory of, of the history of the program. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of, it's like, daggummit. Like, um, it, it, I wanted to pull up her uh, box score real quick while we have the, while we have the chance, because I, I want to just remind, remind everyone, she was 11 of 15 from the field, 4 of 6 from the line, 26.6 rebounds in this game um an offensive force to be reckoned with 
uh, right when UCF needed it the most. Uh, Bryson, real quick, tell me about these two track performances here. Brittany Floyd breaking the 19-year-old heptathlon record and Renaya Jones winning the three medals, three golds in the AAC indoors. So with the, we talked about Floyd breaking the heptathlon record before. She ended up winning that a comp- competition. And I mean, I told I said it before, she just revolutionized what heptathletes or multi-athletes can do with this program. And that was kind of her moment where she broke out and said, you know, that's, it's her Renaya Jones moment, you know, and she just, Hey, my name's Brittany Floyd and I'm going to change this program. And she went and did that. And when she broke that 19 year old record, it's so old, by the way, there isn't an exact date in the record book. It just says 2003 next to the, next to the athletes named Jamie Pugh. So, uh, I mean, I don't know what else I can really say about that. I mean, it's, it's hard to do multiple, multiple events at the same time. And Floyd just excelled in all of them. Just absolutely well done. For Renaya, um, it's funny. We haven't mentioned her a lot either. You talk about how we haven't mentioned McKenna. We haven't really mentioned Renaya a lot either. But Renaya continued to just dominate as far as her perform, uh, performances. And this was her first indoor season, by the way, because the, her, the last indoor season was canceled because of COVID-19. And that was Renaya's freshman year. So this is her first indoor season. And she goes to the American Conference Championship and sweeps the gold medal in all three of her awards. Major reason why UCF took the title in that division. So just dominant performance from Renaya there. Eric Lopez, Jada Cody, two home runs against Villanova, kind of really set the tone for UCF in that regional. But I think that gets a little bit overshadowed by what Kama Woodall did against Michigan. Well, real quick on Cody, no UCF players ever hit two home runs in a postseason game. It reminded me, shout out to Brian Murphy on this, my first Rays playoff game I attended in person. Evan Longoria, first two at-bats against the White Sox, two homers, set the tone for the Rays, rest playoff run. Same thing here with Jada Cody and against Villanova. Kamal Woodall, it's the greatest pitching performance for a UCF pitcher in postseason history. 11 innings, we talked about it, the conditions, 181 pitches. You can actually listen to her talk about that herself if you go to the black and gold banner at youtube channel right now subscribe like you can hear my interview <laughs> with kamal woodall and talks about that game in her words uh in, about that performance that's all i need to say about that that's called a plug kyle all right we got a lot of we got a lot of nominees in this category it's actually the biggest category we've got McKenna melville 27 kills 20 digs for florida state she was all over the place i thought she had an evil twin who snuck into the gym at some point during that match um, Brittany Smith, uh, 26 points against Florida on 11 to 15 in the NCAAs. Brittany Floyd's 19 year old, uh, breaking the 19 year old UCF had Tathlon record. Red Nia Jones, three goals in the AAC indoors. Pat Pidden's 54 hole record for women's golf came a Woodall, 11 innings going the distance against Michigan and Jada Cody's two homers against Lenovo in the NCAA regionals. Those are your women's individual performances of the year. All right, guys. Here we go. The two big awards, actually the four big awards, the two big categories, athlete of the year, team of the year. Here we go. Male athlete of the year. We got five nominees. Ryan O'Keefe from football, Jeffrey Pena from baseball, Johnny Trevally from men's golf, Luca Dorado from men's soccer, Darren Green Jr. from men's basketball. Drew, we will start with Ryan O'Keefe. Make your case. We, we talked about Ryan O'Keefe before being the team leader in receiving yards, being fourth in rushing, and he's a wide receiver, so he's, he's a do-it-all. And, you know, his Gasparilla game, uh, Gasparilla Bowl uh, game numbers were just absolutely outstanding, had more total yards than any other player on the field, including 
both quarterbacks. Uh, you know, the, the guy did it all, and and he was the bridge that helped bring Mikey Keene into the spotlight, and I would say it was the singular linchpin of what the, you know of a team that would have tanked versus a team that excelled to nine wins. He was the guy. If he wasn't there, they wouldn't have made it. I mean, the talent is is right, and I can't wait to see what he's going to be able to do this coming season. Um, the, uh, we may see him again this time around. Bryson, Jeffrey Pena, and like we said, an up and down season for baseball. He was really a consistent performer. Oh yes, for a hit for a hitting core that started the season off with, with a slow start, Jeffrey Pena was just hit the gr- hit the ground running and just did it from day one. He ended up setting a new program record for stolen base percentages, getting sixty seven out of seventy one. He got and he stole tw- over twenty bases in back to back seasons for the first time since Matt Ray did it in two thousand five and two thousand six. He also got his eighty two hits was the most by a Knights player in one season since 2011 when Jonathan Griffin had 86. I mean, I, I, he was just the offensive linchpin. I mean, like we talked about his performance in the Ole Miss game, he got the walk-off double to keep the, the team alive in the AAC tournament in that first semifinal game against, against Houston. Like this, this, this team, this guy has absolutely been a, linchpin into why baseball has managed to do as well as it has despite all of the setbacks the one constant is jeffrey pena is going to be fast and he's going to hit the ball Mm. the uh johnny trevally and luca or or actually no i want to go to kyle and talk about darren green jr transferred out bummer about that but was arguably the best performer for men's basketball this year I don't see what the argument would be for anybody else, Jeff, because at the end of the day, the one thing we constantly, uh, Elo especially, uh, bashed on this team about was the lack of consistency. But the one thing you could rely on during the regular season more than anything else is Darren Green handling business from beyond the arc and shooting the ball outside to get the two at long range as well. How many times I would be watching him or, or, or rather the team in general struggle. And then suddenly Darren green comes up, chucking it from Dan Marley range from the logo and stuff and popping a three listen several times. Coach Johnny Dawkins was asked if he has license to do that. And more often than not, the answer was essentially to paraphrase and put it shortly. Yes. Yes, he can. And, and <laughs> I mean, I can't put it much better than that, but easily, um, I believe he was the team's leading scorer as well. Um, I, I know that fans will be quick to point out that maybe his uh, his final game with UCF in the tournament against Memphis may not be as strong the strongest. I would certainly uh, grant that as well. But what for what he did for the team throughout the year, easily a huge deal. Uh, I want to talk about Luca Dorado for men's soccer uh, in his sophomore year. Boy, this guy has really blasted onto the scene for men's soccer we talked about you know eric you know we talked a lot about cal jennings and how great he was i I think luca dorado could be this good second team all east region last year unanimous first team all conference player in the american um yeah seven of ucf's first 16 goals uh 10th nationally in goals with 13 um this guy's got a really bright future ahead of him just two seasons in uh, at a Montverde Academy, um, boy, he's going to be impressive. And I think he, you know, he, he could be 
uh, a real, he could be an took all American. Took it to a different level. Took it to a different yeah. level. Will probably be a, pr- a player of the year candidate for them to be successful this upcoming year uh, in their last year in the American, as we found out. Yeah. In a much tougher American this year with some new teams coming in. And Bryson, I'll let you make the case for Johnny Trevally of men's golf, who was the number one guy for them all season. Oh, yes. This team does not make a regional without Johnny Trevally. They don't do it without Teddy Tetak either. We mentioned with that earlier. But Johnny Trevally has always been the main leader in the in this in the, on this men's golf team he made his pga tour debut as well playing in the rbc canadian open recently but he his he ended up getting one of the top 10 lowest season scoring average in program history a feat that he's that he is in, familiar with he has a, a, another in there and he, he, you look he's three over on this on the year to compare that with his fellow players Teddy Titak is nine over. The next, you have Clement Charmison at 36 over, and then Igor Yoshenko at 37 over. Just without this, without Johnny Trevale doing what he does best, this team just simply does not make a regional. All right. So your male athlete of the year nominees, Ryan O'Keefe from football, Jeffrey Pena from baseball, Johnny Trevale men's golf, Luca Dorado men's soccer, Darren Green Jr. men's basketball. Let's go to the ladies. Uh, from women's golf, Tenrata Pidden. From track, Renaya Jones. From women's basketball, Diamond Battles. From volleyball, McKenna Melville. <clears throat> and from softball, Jada Cody. Eric Lopez, I want to start with Jada Cody. We talked about the record she broke. Um, what makes her, the, what, what in your case, in your opinion, makes her the best UCF athlete this year? Well, she broke a 19-year-old record that was held by a Hall of Famer in Stephanie Best, which I didn't think would be broken. And she shattered it with 10 games less. Drove in 75 home runs, uh, 75 runs, 15 homers. Helped her team win the regular season tournament title and Super Regional. No other player on this list we're going to talk about has done that. And she became the face of this program, catching... Gianna Mancha, while dominating offensively, she started as a catcher. She started as a third baseman. She started as a left fielder. She even had a start as second baseman. She's a She was interviewed by Holly Rowe on ESPN. She transcends the softball program. Jamae Jada Cody is the UCF Athlete of the Year. Hmm. Uh, I'm going to make the case for McKenna Melville, who you know we talked about earlier, her performance against Florida State. Every year, and I did play-by-play for UCF Volleyball this year several times, Every match, it was just what's McKenna Melville going to do today? You know, she was she's she's kind of become, dare I say, the Michael Jordan of UCF volleyball, where she has lapped the field in terms of what she has been able to prove on the floor. She's been an All-American all four years, but you know, this past year, I thought that she reached an even greater level, and I think had to in uh, in, in certain cases this year, uh, and enabled UCF to get all the way to the NCAA second round. You know, and I and even despite all that, the fact that she was among the national leaders in kills, kills per match, uh, and was up in the top five, you know, actually led the country in several of those categories much of the time. You know, I still think she has, a, a you know, an even better season left in her as she heads into her final year. And she is very close. She is quite possible. She has an opportunity heading into next season to be not just the great, not just UCF's leader in kills all time, but to be top 10 all time in NCAA division one history in kills. 
uh, which is a heck of a, an achievement considering that she's played entirely in the rally scoring era. Um, we are seeing greatness uh, before our eyes and we only get one more year of it. Um, she, to me, is the best female athlete on campus at UCF. Um, however, Kyle Nash, you have a case to make for diamond battles, don't you? I don't have to say a whole lot. I can do the it's Jordan six rings things, so to speak, if I wanted to conference player of the year, defensive conference player of the year, leading scorer on the squad, leader in steals, heart and soul, the face of the franchise. I I love that Elo wants to bring up, well, hey, the audience sees more of this, but I will ask you the same thing that Diamond does up on the Jumbotron before every game. What's good? All the stuff she brings to the table, history is made, and it's not made without Diamond Battles out there taking the helm. Off, off, uh, off, uh, off air here, I said something about the post players running the show and being a bigger, bigger part of the women's team. Jeff corrects me and says they didn't need the post players. They got Diamond Battles. <laughs> we have Diamond Battles, and they don't. Now, we don't have Diamond Battles anymore, which makes me sad. Unfortunately. But she does yeah. inspire athlete, athletes outside of her sport, Men's and women's alike, too. I might also yeah. add. Was be- uh, and, and truly beloved. And by the way, that the thing about the, the we have diamond and they don't shout out to Alex Funderburg who coined that. <laughs> um, uh, and now, Bryson, I want to leave you with the last two who you covered uh, extensively. And you can make the base, best case for Renaya Jones of track and field and Pat Pitten of women's golf. Um, Renaya, you know, maybe a little bit of a disappointing end to her, to, to her season this past year, the NCAAs. But that should not take away from the fact that she was dominant both outdoors and indoors for UCF track and field this year. You are absolutely right on that one. I, the Renaya was an MVP in the indoor champion in the indoor championship. Well deserved there, sweeping the golds. She also got two podiums in the outdoor championship and a fifth and a fifth place as well, which still got her team points. She managed to, I think, while it wasn't to the highest of highs that last season was outdoor, she did still very much uh, was the class of the field, I think, in terms of her uh, in terms of her times. She made it back to the final at Eugene in the 100-meter hurdles. And granted, it may not have ended the way she wanted to, but this season, I think, was a much more long and grueling grind for for this woman and doing both indoor and outdoor back to back for the first time now that she has it under her belt though i think she'll be fine and let's not forget she was also the opening leg in the four by 100 meter relay team who also had a very good showing in eugene so renaya is still being renaya and i'm excited to see what she does going forward now tenrata pitten she was the headliner of a very well done uh, well done women's golf team this year her season scoring average 71.71 is the is the lowest is the is one is the lowest single season scoring average in program history beating her own record that she set herself Back in the 2019 to 2020 season, she also managed to, of course, set the 54 hole record as well with the 200. With a 200, the previous record was 203. She was conference player of the year in the American for women's golf. I mean, she is just. I mean, in it again, we talked about how impressive Zoe Lowe played as a freshman, but Tenrata Pitten is the absolute headliner of this of this team absolutely well done by her and i'm excited to see what else she does for this program all right 
Female Athletes of the Year, Jada Cody for softball, McKenna Melville for volleyball, women's basketball, diamond battles, Renaya Jones from track, and Pat Pidden from women's golf. All right, fellas, we have reached the apex. Let's do the big awards. This is, this is best picture, okay? We've made it. Teams of the year. Let's start with the men. Football, baseball, men's golf. In a year that was, let's be honest, kind of rough at times for UCF men's sports, I want to make the case for, uh, or actually, Drew, I'll let you make the case for football because I think you kind of made it a little bit here, but just put a period on this for us. Uh, this season is is just a test. Uh, you have a new coach come in. You you dealt with turmoil, uh, you know, turmoil players coming and going uh, with the with the transfer portal. Uh, this team dealt with turmoil with losing their starting quarterback, their top wide receiver, their top running back in the third game of the year. Did not break. They bent. They did not break and rallied behind a freshman quarterback uh, en route to a, a nine win season, winning six out of their last seven, including a big uh, bowl uh, win over Florida, a six, almost 64,000 in attendance to watch that game. Uh, you know, that's a successful season, you know, in the game, in, in the men's sports, all having a rough go that ends on a high note. You, you win against an in-state opponent in, in an area that you've never beat them before, which, you know, in football, and you have a positive momentum going into the next season. I want to make the case for uh, baseball here. Now they finished with a 35 and 25 record, not, you know, spectacular, obviously, but I think there were a lot of parallels between football and baseball this year. The only difference as Eric Lopez said earlier was football got to cap off their season with a bowl win. And unfortunately baseball didn't, but that wasn't to, that was, that doesn't prevent you prevent us from seeing you know, some really great moments this year in baseball. They took, obviously, the 12-inning win over Ole Miss that we talked about earlier. Uh, beat Miami uh, uh, in a game earlier this year. Swept South Florida to start the, uh, to start the conference uh, season. We saw some great pitching performances. Um, but unfortunately, there was a rash of injuries during the conference play uh, that really hampered uh, this team's ability to sort of get some traction and stay toward the top, but they managed to fight their way back, get a favorable seed in the American Conference Championships, and after a tough loss to Memphis in the first game, won three straight games, forcing the second semifinal against Houston after a 10-inning thrilling victory, 9-8 over Houston, before they finally just ran out of gas, 9-6. But I think when you consider the adversity that Greg Lovelady and his team had to deal with, cold bats at the start of the year, Next to no arms by the end of the year, they had no business getting as close as they could one day away from playing for a conference championship and finishing 10 games over 500 and number two in the conference or, or, or not number two in the conference, but finishing, uh, I believe, what, what was their seed in the conference, Eric? I forget. Was it uh, or, or, or Bryson? It was. So they did finish two. OK, yep. so um, gosh, I, I mean, goes to show you like. What an effort by this if team baseball to get to had If baseball had a bowl game, it's the same year. Yeah. yeah I think that's a great point. And, and I don't think that should be understated. Bryson, men's golf. Um, you know, again, we've seen more successful seasons for men's golf, but they had some pretty key moments this year, didn't they? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. 
um, with, uh, uh, it's the, they the one, two, three finish at the Hartford Hawks invite. Oh my God. I'm saying, oh yeah. It's so not, it's not, okay. I, it's I, now, I, it's I'm now sorry. a meme. You can't that every time I there. ask Bryson, Jeff, he starts by saying, oh yes, Jeff, <laughs> Jeff, Jeff, you are teeing me up to answer the question like that. It's the tee ups. I'm telling you, it's what you say. Okay. So, um, a lot of the memorable performances from men's golf this season came very early on highlights of which are the one, two, three performance that they had um, like you two, three UCF nights finished one, two, three individually in the Hartford Hawks invite back in September, like absolutely amazing start of the year. The problem is, is they couldn't really carry it over into the spring, but that said, I what really think I what I really think saved them this season was a fourth place finish in the American Athletic Championship where they had six under par as a team. Without that champ, without that performance, they're not going to make a regional because the way the the way the place that they were ranked in the in the golf stat, there was one team that was ranked ahead of them, Iowa, I believe, that did not make it to a regional as a team. UCF men's golf did. And I think that momentum, that, that last bit of oomph on there on the American got in the American championship, got them in. And I, after a season where they definitely didn't have the best of times that they managed to, to pull it out in the end and have a, an overall fairly successful season, I would say, or at least in terms of where they were. Men's team of the year, nominees, football, baseball, men's golf. And now we get to, the big award of the night, Women's Team of the Year. This was a banner year for women's sports at UCF. How appropriate. 50th anniversary of Title IX actually happened today uh, as you record this on Friday. or, or it's, it's now Friday since it's past midnight, but Thursday, June 23rd. Um, and we have five teams that all had great years. Women's basketball, softball, track, volleyball, and golf. Um, Bryson, I want to start with you and give you a chance to redeem yourself one more time. Uh, Women's golf. They, uh, you know, again, like we said, just model of consistency under Emily Marin didn't win the conference, but got to the NCAAs again. Indeed. Indeed. You almost did it again. All right. Different terminology. It's different terminology. So it doesn't count. It's a different terminology. So it doesn't count. Yes. So this season, like they were much more consistent in terms of the women's golf, like Camille Banzette, Tenrata Pinnon and Zoe Alo and Jess Baker as well had her moments as well. They were a, they, they, they were a very consistent team that managed, that managed to get consistent results. Tenrata Pinnon became the, of course, became the fourth uh, UCF women's golfer ever to get an individual win in a win joining Ashley Ashley Holder, Liz Early, and Kristen Putnam. And Zoe Alo, of course, bursting onto the scene as a freshman. And then Camille Banzette doing a, having, having a good season as well. And Jess Baker, who was competing at the Women's Amateur, by the way, in, Brit- in Britain and doing quite well there. Um, she also had her moment. She was more hit and miss. But they, but they did well. Annalora Collado and Alyssa Lamoro, unfortunately, in their last seasons, uh, they they had some good, like good singles performances here and there. But they didn't really quite put it together. But the good news is, is that it's a they score four five when you play golf. So so the women's golf, you're able to kind of have you're, if you have one player that has a bit of a bad performance, the rest of the team can pick you up. And that's what this women's golf team the team did, especially since they swept. W- player of the year and freshman of the year 
in the American. So model of consistency, a well done year. And I can't wait to see what they do next year with the transfer, the two transfers that they're bringing in. Kyle Nash, I want you to talk about women's basketball and the historic season that they had. Absolutely. I mean, even the players themselves and Coach Abe call it iconic. Um, what they did to be seated higher than any other women's basketball program, um, uh, getting seventh and doing all that and, and making the noise. We've talked about how they made simplicity of Florida. We talked about how they're foul shots away from beating the juggernaut that is the UConn program. And all the other things they did, too, as well, with Masni Kaba scoring a 1,000 points uh, to cap her career, having a game where uh, Alicia Lewis had 10 steals, all sorts of uh, nights that were historic uh, for the team and individuals as well. Coach Abe will go down in history for this year here on. And, and you know, it's unfortunate uh, for the fans that, the uh, program was completely gutted, even right down to their assistant. We came to find out. Today. Shout out, man. You'll do great. Torn down to the studs, man. Oh, my God. Hey, hey, hey. Kyle's still here, right? You're still here, right, Kyle? Uh, depends on you. Eli. No, I'm kidding. George <laughs> is going to sign him away. Um, hey, listen, I'm, 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 I got Greek ancestry, and they went to Athens. It's very confusing. I see why you're worried. But anyways, uh, all of the performance that they have, um, such a versatile team. And just the fantastic story of what they were building uh, on on what was a successful year despite pandemic in uh, in 2020 and, and and having to deal with all that. Um, just what a remarkable, iconic group that this women's basketball team was. I'm going to make the case for UCF volleyball this year: 27 and seven, fourth consecutive conference championship victories over. The likes of Clemson, Florida State, nearly beat Georgia. They beat Miami, uh, plowed through the conference season. Um, over one stretch, this is, this is really remarkable. Going back and looking at this, they went, let's see, three, four, five, six matches without losing a set, then went five against Cincinnati, and then went another six matches without losing a single set. Made it all, won the conference championship, made it all the way to the NCAA second round where they came so close against UCLA, they could taste it in Pauley Pavilion. Um, a truly, a, 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 a year that almost flew under the radar. How good they were. They become so consistently awesome that we take them for granted. McKenna Melda, we can talk about her, you know, for, you know, for, uh, from here on to the end, the job that Todd Dagenet, Jenny Maurer, Brian Doyen, and the entire staff at UCF have done is nothing short of remarkable. They continue to, they just, I, I, it's funny. I was, I, I, John Evans and I uh, went over to see a, a spring practice at UCF and we said, and it was right around when softball was, uh, was finishing up their conference season. So we caught a little bit of practice talked to Todd, talked to Jenny for a little bit. And, you know, we, and, and you know, we asked, and he kind of said, Hey, that, you know, are you going over to softball? He's like, that might be the best team on campus. I'm like, do you respect the softball? Best team on campus is the one you're looking at right now. They've won four consecutive championships. And, uh, and he's like, yeah, that's a good point. So my vote will, you know, I, I'm very hard pressed. You're going to, okay. I'll let Eric Lopez try and talk me out of that by making the case for softball. <laughs> oh yes, that's very easy. Oh yes, 
Ladies and gentlemen, with respect, by the way, in all fairness, let's again emphasize this. We did this at the open. Everybody we've talked to about here tonight or this episode, amazing. Can we agree on that? Like, I don't want to, I hate it because then some people are like, man, you're really knocking so-and-so. No, we're just, we're having some fun. Everybody was incredible. In other years, these are teams worthy. Absolutely. And Jeff, you made a great point about the 50-year anniversary. I mean, this is maybe the greatest year in we women's We should do like the Peabody Awards where you don't pick one yeah. winner. You simply decide like this team is worthy of the award or By not. By the way, right? I'm okay. And I know we don't do this, but I'm okay if there's ties here for awards in some of these because I'm just going to say that. All right. So let me just get that out of the way. With that being said, hello. <laughs> Let's talk UCF softball, ladies and gentlemen, who transcended UCF. People that didn't follow UCF softball followed UCF softball. It started opening day. Boom. Walk-off win over Georgia. Boom! Walk-off win over Old Miss. Boom! Beat Texas in Clearwater. Boom! Win the American Conference regular season title. Boom! Sweep South Florida and Tampa. And the best pitcher in the planet, Georgina Cork, who won Pitcher of the Year, by the way. Boom! Swept them and beat them in the championship game. Run ruled their ass. Beat Wichita State two out of three on the road there win the tournament host a regional go in there and beat michigan not once but twice beat them as bad as ohio state football beats michigan every other year basically uh, in football that's how bad they beat them and the only reason why softball didn't make the women's college world series is because they literally ran into the greatest softball team that's probably ever played in oklahoma which is better than any uconn women's basketball team ever ever like Oklahoma can beat the Yankees right now that's how good that Sooner softball team if UCF gets anybody else in the draw in the super regionals I don't know about that they are in the world series they got better pitching than the Yankees in my opinion okay. but uh at least a better coach than Aaron Boone. <laughs> but anyway sorry Murph I, mean, I know the Yankees are having a great year uh it's a historic team and the thing was crazy to me people followed it that weren't softball fans the news the news news people were at these practices it really was tra- it was the closest thing I that kind of similar to 2017 football. A lot of dramatic moments, memorable moments that people just got caught up in as time went on. So congrats to us. Thank you very much. Mike Trout. I think they're the favorite. I'm just gonna say that right now. My favorite dark horse, however, Bryson Turner, I'm going to let you discuss, and that is track and field, who pulled the double. They did. They did indeed, Jeff. And well, I mean. I, lo- I looked this up, by the way, as we were talking. This team, um, Dana Boone's talking about how she likes to make little bits of history with her program. They did that this season by setting 11 school records between indoor and outdoor track this year. 11. It, they, they went, they, we talked about how Renaya Jones like broke out last year and she took so many bannies. It wasn't even, it was, it was amazing. And, but she brought the rest of the team with her this this season latosh latosha smith adrian adams ashera collins came came back as came back as well Brittany floyd i mean the uh, the the performances ever and i continued continued and it, it it boggles my mind and then of course doubling for the first time since 2013 dana boone has brought this program back to that to that time and it took a while it took almost a decade but it was well worth it to see athletes like Renaya, Ashira, Latasha, and the, the relay teams 
are absolutely just absolutely insane. And I think we, we honestly, I would have a much better case to give for this team if the four by four hundred relay team and the and Latasha Smith for the four hundred made it to Eugene in the four hundred meters, which didn't happen due again due to illness. I blame get, blame disease for the fact that we did not see these talented women in Eugene. I think they are going to be there next year. And I think coach Boone is going to really push them to do, to do that, but they still kept kept making school history. There is more than just Renaya to this track program. And this season absolutely proved it 11 school records. And I'm excited to see if there's going to be more next time. Your women's team of the year nominees to wrap it up, women's basketball, softball, track, volleyball, and golf. Very um, historic, by the way. This we might look back when you yeah. do the archives years from now. It's the greatest women's basketball team ever in UCF. Mm-hmm. The greatest softball team in UCF history. I think it's the second best track and field team ever behind only 2013. And this young and this track is super young. Maybe the greatest volleyball team in D1 era, Jeff. I mean, it's this Maybe. in 19, right? Maybe and golf. Oh, by the way, golf was real strong too. Near, you know, but got to another regional. We're looking at some history. Got to another regional. Everyone was like, eh. "This is a historic year," and I would steal Kyle's word, iconic, perhaps even to describe it. Hey, with this, purple- we finally made it. Yeah. Hey, women's tennis was solid too. Literally, uh, like it, uh, um, almost every women's sport would have what they call a, a, a exceptional season. It's absolutely insanity. Except rowing. Wow. I'm still mad about that. <laughs> oh god thanks for thanks for getting us to the end. Mad. he wanted to go to rowing here's, in sarasota here, that's what he wanted here's how here's how this is going to break down all right so now you've heard all the nominations you've heard all of our cases for them we are going to post two awards every day with the with these nominations all right you the fan get to vote on them on black and make sure you vote on each of them we will also vote on the awards individually. And then you, the fans, whoever, whoever wins the fan vote will get one vote. And if there is a tie for a vote, the fan vote, whoever gets the fan vote, that serves as the tiebreaker. So make sure you follow us at UCF Banneret underscore SBN, facebook.com slash black and gold banneret. And of course, black and gold banneret.com. You are home for UCF sports on the SB Nation Network. It's going to be a busy couple of weeks for us. We're in the dog days of summer, but we're going to blow out the bannies this year, and it's totally happening. So thank you so much for bearing, bearing through us. Gentlemen, thank you for your incredible insight, the arguments. We tried to get through this as quickly as we could. There are so many awards. There are so many people that we want to honor and thank for this wild season that we had at UCF. We just couldn't. It, 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 I know it took a while, but you know something? It was worth it. All right. You don't rush so, perfection, Jeff. No, you don't. It has been, indeed, as Bryson Turner has said, a historic year. So for all of us here at Black and Gold Banneret, for Eric Lopez, Eric Lopez Elon on Twitter, for Kyle Nash, the student of the game, the SOTG on Twitter, for It's Bryson Turner on Twitter, Bryson Turner, and for Stat Boy Drew on Twitter, Andrew Glukoff, I am Jeff underscore Sharon. Also, Jeff Sharon on Twitter. Jeff underscore Sharon on Twitter. I am Jeff Sharon saying thank you so much for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banner at 2022 Award Nomination Show. A couple of weeks, we will announce the winners on blackandgoldbanneret.com. Until then, folks, enjoy your weekend. Don't forget to vote. Keep an eye on us for all these awards as we go. Thank you again, folks. Enjoy. Have a great weekend.